to the Rogue Bogues Podcast. I'm Lodge and in charge, pro with my sort of co-host, Andrew, Big Dog Bogan. Andrew, how are you doing today, brother? I am great. I am doing very, very well. Uh, a lot to get through, pro. But fans, let us know how that intro was out of 10. Want to know. We should, we should keep that going. It was pretty much more passionate than, than I've been the last couple of weeks. So I like it, pro. Yeah, it's sort of, I think that I'll get to... Same rating that my wife gives me uh, in in our bedroom, probably a two and a half to a three <laughs> top. So no X rated from the start. I like it. Oh, man. All right, brother. What do we get on tap this week? We've got a lot. We have a lot. So we'll just get straight into the, what I want to do is wrap up the first round. A lot to talk about with mainly the teams that have exited and where they go from here and the series and, and what you thought. But um, all the higher seeds won pro. So I, I don't know how far... Back that goes, but um, it's going to be a rarity, doesn't it? Usually there's an upset or two. Um, I'm, I don't know if you can count the Brooklyn as a lower seed technically, even though they were, um, considering that if healthy, they would have been higher. But yeah, all the higher seeds won. So a good day for the betters. No question. I did. I mean, I, obviously, I've probably had like two or three series wrong at least on prediction. But yeah, you, you don't expect it. You expect to. Not as bad as the NCAA tournament, you know, first round knockouts, but you expect at least one or two. But uh, yeah, all the higher seeds winning. That's uh, usually a four. Usually there's at least a four, five, or three, six Mm -hmm. that kind of gets through, but um, hasn't happened. Let's start with Mork in Chicago. Um, What I'm going to do is go through each of the kind of notable players from that series. For Milwaukee, it was obvious 28, 13, and six for Giannis a night. Um, For the Bulls, I think Vucevic was their best player Um, 19, 12, and three. I'm going to, I want to kind of go through who the horror player was for the losing team. I think for the Bulls, it was everyone, <laughs> really. They, they you, you can't finish a playoff series with three blowout losses, essentially, and that's what they did. They, they battled for the first two. Um, they won game two, and then, you know, it was just bad after that. They got blown out, basically. They weren't really in any of those games, the last three. Um, Milwaukee handled their business with no Middleton, which was very, very impressive. They adjusted on the fly very quickly. They brought Portis into the starting lineup, which was kind of weird because it's essentially three bigs. Um, I mean, Giannis is essentially a point forward, but they, they bring another three-point shooter with Portis and they keep Lopez out there. So a bigger lineup, but it worked really, really well. Um, I, was, I was disappointed in Chicago Pro. I thought, you know, when you compare it to, say, a New Orleans, um, that's what Chicago should have been. They were probably going to lose a series regardless, but they just had no fight. They got punched and they just laid down. And, you know, you, you, I guess your growth as a team um, going into next season, the season after, is how you battle in these playoffs. And they, I think they laid down those last three games. So I was disappointed with that. But um, what are your thoughts on that series? I, I expected a little bit more fight out of Chicago, especially when Middleton being out, you expect them – you know, they're missing ball. Of course, that's a huge loss for them being a, a guy who could set everything up, passer and, you know, playmaker like that. But you expect everyone just to sort of say next man up mentality like like a Milwaukee gave you. And for them to sort of lay down like that, I was a little bit surprised myself. I expected more out of Kobe White. I expected more out of Patrick Williams. You know, even Caruso, I expected a little bit more out of. And you just didn't get it. Didn't get consistent fight. And 
like I've been saying for, for the last few weeks, we talk about playoffs. It really, you're in a vacuum as far as, you know, you really get to see what type of value you have as a player, how you could compete in the playoffs. And you could only use first playoff series, you know, to a certain extent, you could only use that so far. And look, all those other guys, like De- DeRozan's been in the playoffs. Vu- I don't know. Vooch, Vooch has been in the playoffs before, not obviously deep because of with Orlando, but he's been in the playoffs before. Um, Levine, probably, but still, like these are three highlighted players that are making, you know, north of 20, some north of 30. You expect them to show up a little bit more than they did. Yeah, and that's it. Like, I, I'm, you know, people are going to think, oh, what do you mean? You expected more fight bows. You picked, I picked this, this as a sweep series for Milwaukee. But what I mean by that is just, you know, Milwaukee were going to win the series, but just make them fight for it. Make them, they didn't really get any games down to crunch time. They didn't really, there was no real pressure on Milwaukee in this series at all. Um, yeah, after, after game two, it's 1-1, going back to Chicago, maybe, but then they just got absolutely destroyed. So um, where to for Chicago? I mean, they have they have a decent core. Um they made a lot of moves in the off season. They really came out of the gate well. Are they? Do you think they are a few tweaks away, a few veterans away? Continue to develop this core group and make a, a little splash in free agency, or just sit tight and develop? Well, it's really hard for them to make any moves, folks. They got Levine coming in as a free agent. Um, he becomes a free unrestricted this summer, so they're going to have to do something with him right away. They probably already have a, a handshake, wink, wink, Dale behind the scenes. I assume. Um, I, I think this team's a little better than what they finished up at. I'd like to see them with ball. They don't really have shot blocking, which is their biggest issue. You know, I think that like Vucevic gives you so much as a scorer and someone who could make shots and score in the post and do some things, but not really a rim protector. And, you know, without ball, that's a big part of your team. And I think Kobe White needs to get better. I think Patrick Williams, you got to have him for a whole year, see what he's like. And then, you know, obviously missing Caruso for a little bit. I would keep this court group together for another year and see what happens. I don't think with Levine's salary, even if it came off the books, it's not like you could replace the money you gave them because you gave them because, you know, you pay you pay Vucevic and, you know, you pay DeMar so much money. Like, you're not going to have a lot of salary cap room, even if you lose Levine. I think you keep him. I'm not a huge Levine fan, but he does score. And he, you know, it, it does stretch the floor out a little bit. DeRozan's not a three-point shooter. Levine's sort of your only really big-time threat, even though Vucevic shoots a little bit. I would keep the core together one more year. If they can't make any noise in the playoffs next year, then I would look to sort of shuffle some pieces because you sign Levine to a long-term contract, then you could trade him a year from now or two years from now. You can get off Vucevic. People probably a lot easier to get off DeRozan or get off Levine Vucevic because as you know, the bigs aren't as valuable. So it's going to be a little bit tougher to, to sort of move him. If you're going to do that, I would keep them together, see what you got and then just keep on drafting. They, they, I think they got like a, a top 20 pick or top 21 pick in this year's draft. Try to get, you know, another young player, try to develop, you know, in a couple of years, see what you got. But I think they got a pretty good core. What do you think both? Yeah, I agree. I think if they can just pull off some sort of vet min feet set shooter, um, a Tony Snell, someone like someone that can just you know be feet set from three um, to balance out their offense a little bit, and then just a rim protector, Javel McGee type, or someone like that, they can they can get on the mm-hmm. cheap. Um, I think will, will definitely help them. Like you said, they're pretty hindered if they uh, max out Levine. Their caps are pretty stretched, but they're gonna have to go to the vet min market and get get some of those cheaper deals. And they can they can find a few gems. I think they can give them you know. 10, 15, 20 a night in those positions. Um, it just depends if 
the veterans want to go to Chicago and see that as a sticking point. But I think overall, I didn't expect a lot from them this season. Um, and they, they made the playoffs. This is a kind of a building stepping stone for them, but probably should have done a little bit better with the veterans they have, but we'll see how they go next season. All right, Toronto and Philly. So we, uh, we both got this one wrong. Um, Philly came out. I mean, Embiid, we probably underestimated him, but um, you know, they, Philly win this 4-2. Um, Embiid, 26-11 and 11 with constant double teams, which is pretty impressive. Pretty impressive numbers considering how much they try to get the ball out of his hands on the catch. Siakam, 22-7-5 or 6 um, assists, was probably their best player. The letdown of the series for me was Van Bleek. Um, even before the injury, bro, I know he got hurt and was battling through it, but... It was 13.8 points a game on horrific shooting numbers, 35 from the field and 33 from three. Um, that's not going to get it done. And he was kind of my X factor. I thought if he had a big series, they would have a chance. Uh, I'm surprised they even got two games without him, to be honest with you, because um, he was their motor for the regular season. But he was, you know, he was a big out for them. So I thought he had a disappointing series, even with the injury. Uh, Big, big blowouts. I think, you know, Toronto early on just, just absolutely laid, not laid down. They just couldn't get it going and, Credit to them, they could have just packed it in and went home 4-0, but they made it a series with kind of, this is what I would have expected from Chicago. Um, you know, they're down 3-0 and they, they come back and, and, they, and they make it a series at least and it finishes 4-2. So I think they salvaged a little bit of goodwill there to build for the offseason. Um, Harden woke up in game six finally and had, had a decent night. Uh, Thibault was the interesting one. Um, he couldn't play on the, on the road, obviously, due to the Vax mandates, but he's kind of fallen out of the rotation regardless. Um, he didn't, didn't play a lot in Philly neither and didn't play well. So I don't know if that's just the herky-jerkiness of playing a game and not playing a game or if Doc was like, I'm just going to keep kind of my core guys because I don't want him in and out disrupting the rotations. But um, he's going to have to, you know, he's going to be very important for him in the next round um, and if they get to the conference finals. But um, that's kind of my, my wrap on Philly and Toronto. What, what were your thoughts on that series? Well, I expected more. Um, I expected, obviously, Toronto to win the series, but, you know, they, they played. I, I thought they did a, a decent job that last game. You know, they, they really were had a good first half, and they got just got intimidated that second half and just played, just got blown out, and, you know, it wasn't even a close deal. And um, I expected more out of Van Vliet. Obviously, he got hurt. And, Boucher, you know, Boucher actually played pretty well in that last game. You know, he averaged 11 and five in the series, but I, I thought he played really well. I expected more, a little bit more out of Gary Trent Jr. I was such a fan of him during the year. Still am. Of course, like you have a bad playoff. It's not like the end of the world, but I expected him to really step his game up, maybe average a little bit like Siakam averaged, you know, 22, you know, you know closer to 22 rather than, you know, sort of the 15 that he dropped. I'll tell you what, though, with the, with Philly going forward and be that uh or orbital fracture that he had that he suffered in that yep. last game. Mm. Uh, you know, Rondo had that when we were playing for us and, you know, Richard Jefferson sort of need him in the, in the face. And so literally put a hole in his face that, you know, he was out for like three weeks. I don't know. Was that regular season though? That was regular season though, right? That was regular season. Obviously I don't even know if he had a procedure done until after I think he wore the mask and all that. I don't know, man. It, it, that that's a tough one to come back from. I don't. I don't know if. Uh, I don't know if he can come back right away, and he'll have to miss some games. Obviously, he he wants to play. You know, Embiid being the warrior that he is, but you know, like you said, Harden finally woke up. But I, I worry about him. You know, I didn't think they can beat Miami in the next round anyway. But like, I do worry about that if if he's gonna if he's gonna suffer that type of an injury. That's a tough one. Yeah, real tough. And he was in the game when he probably shouldn't have been. Um, you know, we are we are hindsight 
hindsight geniuses, but they're up 20 with four minutes left in the fourth. It was the, the game was over pretty much, and then you know Siakam got him. But um, for Toronto, moving on, I guess they're they're in a decent position. They have a pretty good core, um, decent. Their 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 caps pretty good. Um, they're 18th in the league as of today. At 134 million accumulative for their for their uh, roster, they go down to 114 next season. They have some they have some money to, to splash around if they need to. Um, so they could probably you know bring in a few other complementary pieces to what they have. I think they need a big in the, in the East. They needed a they needed a, a brute big um, for this very reason of Embiid. I think um, in the East now, you know, if Philly do get to a conference finals, there's going to be teams adjusting in the East to try and get through them. They're going to have to get you know, and they just have they had no beef. I mean, Birch. Isn't horrible. He's solid, but he's pretty. He's pretty light as well. Um, they need probably a, a, a big bruiser off the bench just for those situations like Joel Embiid, so they don't have to double all game. But I think they'll make a few little tweaks, and I think they've got a pretty good core to continue on with. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in a couple of years to be, you know, a top four, top five team in in, in the East. So, which they were this season, um, almost anyway. So, uh, I think they'll be they'll be pretty good in the long term, pro. I do. I, I really think they're going to be fine. I mean, you know, obviously Van Vliet, we talked about having a tough series, but he he's as solid as they come point guard wise and Siakam being their guy and they got him for another two years. And let's not forget, they get the rookie of the year under a rookie deal for the next three years. So um, they've got, they've got a good core bunch of guys. Like you said, they need a little bit of help. You know, maybe they need a, Maybe they need an Australian big that's playing in the Southwest somewhere that's not really getting that much time. You know, maybe they could ship them up. But uh, I, I think that they're fine. I think the, the front office usually does a pretty good job uh, of, you know, Masai does a really good job bringing players in and bringing those fringe guys in or, to really develop them. I think they'll be good. I think, you know, they could probably sign Boucher, you know, you know on a, on a long-term small deal. Uh, but they do need stronger guys like a Daniel Thice type or someone that big and strong guy. Yeah. They don't need a big time player or anything. No, no, I don't no. know if they're going to get one anyway. Yeah. Just a big that can take the rim and, and just, you know, you, you're going to have to get through Philly at some point in the East, um, continue, even next season. And they struggle with it. You don't want to double all game. I mean, it's tough. And they, they try to double and scramble with those small ball lineups. And, I mean, Boucher was 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 great for him, but defensively, you know, you're asking a lot if you want him to. Oh yeah, to you're keep right. to keep him beat out of the paint. It's just 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 tough. But they've, I mean, Thaddeus Young's on 14 this year. That's coming off the books. Um, Boucher's a, a free agent, so they they have some cap space to play with. So that'll be interesting to see where, where Toronto go. Okay, Boston, Brooklyn. I think you had you had Brooklyn in seven. Brooklyn. I had I had Boston in six, and it ended up being something that I don't think. Anyone out there had picked uh, sweep, which was, I mean, no one. I don't know how you picked that, but crazy. But Boston were just Boston were elite in this series. Um, you know, my, my my gripes with Brooklyn were the chemistry and the teamwork. And I'm going to keep preaching it, and, and it looked like that. I mean, they got away with just throwing it to KD whenever she hit the fan during the regular season, and KD's so good he get you a bucket. They couldn't do this, do that this series, and, and KD kind of struggled. But I mean, my, my player, the, you know, the Boston Celtics. Um, Tatum obviously 29, 29.5 7.3 and 5 a night in that playoff series phenomenal I'm going to have I'm going to put Brown as my player from Brooklyn that I thought had the best impact for them um, not huge <clears> numbers but 14, 5 and 3 on good shooting numbers from 3 you know found his 3 ball that series and was knocking him down at 43% guy who struggled was KD um, look he still had good numbers when you look at his stat sheet he's, he's 26, 5 and 6 for the series, most people would look at that and say, "Shit, I'll take that any any day of the week." 
But mm-hmm. it's even KD will tell you that's not good enough from him, and he can do he can give you much more than that. What was glaring for him was thirty eight percent from the field, thirty three percent from three, five point three turnovers a night. So you average as you know you average six assists to five point three turnovers, and he looked tired. He, he just looked worn down. Um, he, he looked like uh, you know he re- I think he realized shit. I, I needed. I've got to carry this team to even get a win in the series, um, and it just didn't work. But nobody saw a sweep four and zero. I mean, and Tatum, as we discussed pre-series, Tatum and Brown were were, were my X factors and, and yours on the defensive end. We know what they're going to bring offensively, but I thought if Tatum can just you know make KD work, um, KD's going to get his numbers, which he he kind of did twenty six five and six. But at a bad clip, that's exactly what you needed from Tatum, and he was he was. Above average, borderline elite defensively this series, man. He was he was getting deflections. He was he was you know a lot of a lot of times during the regular season you'd screen him and he'd velcro to the screen and kind of half quit and leak out for a for a cherry to get a open layup in transition. No, he was getting hit and and, and chasing KD and blocked a few of his shots from behind. He was phenomenal. Um, I just hope he keeps that passion defensively because if he does it, they got a they got a really big chance to make the finals um, out of the East. So that was kind of what I had for for that series, pro. What were your thoughts? Folks, that you know, look, I've been as hard as anybody on, you know, not only Boston but Jason Tatum, and I think Jason Tatum, if you look at, if you watched him in the playoffs, you know, and just what sort of gave him, gave you a bird's eye view of him, and just zoned in on him, you would think he's an MVP. You know, the way he played, I mean, you know, twenty nine and seven and five, you know, throughout the playoff, throughout that series, and Boston itself just made plays. Like it, it reminded me watching like older teams like the Celtics in the early nineties when they were about to break up, um, you know, uh, the Lakers, when Detroit destroyed them in the finals where like they gave you everything they can give you, but the other team just made play after play after play. You thought that like, all right, Brooklyn's making a run now, you know, in these games and Boston was like, uh, uh-uh. they just, anytime they, they needed to make a play, they made a play. They were tough. They played unbelievably defensively. They were all over the place defensively. And then offensively, they just moved the ball, moved the ball, moved the ball to an open shooter, open driver, and they were really good. Whatever transformation they made in the second half has been legendary for them. Um, Brooklyn, you know, the, the thing with Durant with the turnovers, it's funny, like no other team, I never really saw any other team do this to him where he is loose with the ball. He's seven feet tall. Of course, he's going to be a little loose with the ball. And when he comes off pick and roll, they just attacked him. Like that second defender just came over and got in his space to try to get deflections. And that's where he had, in my opinion, the hardest part, you know, the hardest part sort of dealing with, with Boston's defense. And look, they just didn't have enough. You know, they didn't have enough. They weren't good enough. Um, Kyrie and Durant had to have this hell of a, you know, they had to play like Hall of Famers every night and they just didn't have enough offense. I didn't think that Andre Drummond gave enough. Like I said, he needed to be the guy that really stepped his game up. Curry, I thought played well, Brown played well, but they just didn't have enough. And, you know, going forward, the biggest problem they got is Simmons because now look, you trade Harden and who knows? Cause we weren't, we weren't there. We're not living with them. But like, I always said, like, look, why make that trade? You could add Harden, you know, Durant was coming back. You know, the mandates were probably 60, 40, 70, 30. We're going to get lifted. 
and you you would have had this offensive team. They were never a defensive team, but at least they would have had the, the you know Harden and, and and just an offensive juggernaut that you could outscore teams with. But I get it. They had to make the move. They made the move. Going forward, hey, look, you, now you now this is what you wanted. You got Simmons, and you got to beg him to play. It's going to be an ongoing thing, probably. Who knows? Maybe it's not. I, I think it's not, not pro. Either. I think there's I think there's some performance anxiety kicking in. I really do. I think I think um, yeah. you know you, you you read between the lines of of watching a few of Nash's press conferences when when he was asked about it. Towards the end of that series, he was just so over that question and fatigued, and he didn't know how to answer it because he's obviously being told one thing by PR, one thing by Ben Simmons in his group, one thing by the organization. Then he hears one thing directly from Ben, sees him working out doing windmills, and then you know what I mean. So. It's. I think it's starting to wear down, but I think I think there are some issues there that, that he's going to have to work through mentally. And we know, you know, it's public that he had issues with mental health. A lot of people questioned it around, you know, whether that was a ploy to get out of uh, get out of Philly and, and and get your money back that you're still. I think he's still trying to go to court over um, with the players union to, to get his yeah twenty odd million back that that he was fined. And it could be a case of a boy who cried wolf. Like it, it really is. I think I think maybe he's you know feeling. You know, like he's that missing piece, and I, I thought he had, you know, at three zero, I thought he was playing with house money to come back in game four, because like even if he played shitty and they got swept, it's like yeah, we're down three zero. What do you want me to do? And if they salvaged a game or two, then he looks like a hero. So I thought if there was ever a time for him to come back, I'm not going to question whether he's healthy or not because you just don't know. But it said, you know, the wording around, um, you know, Ben Simmons's. Uh, kind of mental health anxiety can trigger back issues. That's how they worded it. I'm like, what the hell? Like that's that's a that's performance anxiety, bro. That's you know, and I've everyone's had it at stages where you're nervous before games and you get a bit of that performance anxiety and you think the world's crumbling in. But you know, we've all had to deal with techniques to get through it at times. I've seen the, the best players in the world deal with certain things and, and get back to their yeah, some guys would go to the locker room pregame and just take a, a minute or two to, to kind of get in some quiet silence before the game. There's all these different techniques and he's going to find that. He's going to find like his his chakra or his, his yoga pose or whatever it is. Like you're going to find something because, you know, now now you're going to have another four or five month off season of Ben Simmons videos of him working out, looking fantastic and all the hype building up. And then you're going to get to a preseason where everyone's going to expect you to now after two years off to come back and be like, bang, I'm, I'm back. That's going to build anxiety too. The, the only way to kill the anxiety is to play, um, good or bad. And, and you're going to have shit games. You're going to have good games. The only way to kill that and stem that anxiety, um, you know, all psychologists will say eventually you've got to attack the beast that's that's in your head. And as easy as that is to say, until you do it, nothing's going to change. So I'm I'm concerned. I think there's I think there's some big underlying issues there um, that he's going to have to figure out. But well, the fact that they yeah. Yeah, they made they made a big move to get him. It's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, I think um, as far as mental health, I think you have to check the, you know, the front office of the Brooklyn Nets mental health for <laughs> bringing him in, to be honest with mm. you. But here's the thing. I, I will give him this. I, I, I was against having him in for the playoffs because, look, he's the worst ever, quote unquote, superstar dealing with adversity that I've ever seen. All right. And that I've ever seen anytime there's any type of adversity, he quits up to this point. And may I hope to God he gets better with it. No doubt about it. But he is just just look at his history. He's been awful with it his whole career. So in a, in a but I wouldn't have played him. I would have waited to the he needs a training camp. He needs to get brought along and he may not even do that. Who knows? 
But what for any young player, I don't care how good you are. You don't have to be Ben Simmons to, to get this idea in your head. It's not about tweeting out pictures and videos of your workouts, tweeting out these great sayings, you know, this, this, you know, the tough guy, Mr. Tough guy or tough girl, you know, oh, I'm this, I'm that. You always have to look yourself in the mirror and deal with adversity because every player is going to get punched in the face. And what are you going to do when you get your dick knocked in the dirt? That is what you need to understand. When you get your ass kicked and you will, every player does, you know, from Larry Bird to Kobe Bryant to Johnny Bryant and everybody in between, somebody, you're always going to get your ass kicked at some point. Are you going to get up? Are you going to fight through it? Are you going to deal with it? Because you talk like a tough guy all the time about this and that. And when things get hard, what are you going to do? Because they're going to get hard for everybody. And it's easy to tweet things out. It's easy to have interviews and, and your people put stuff out in the media. But what are you going to do when things get hard? And this is guy, this guy's going to have to deal with this the rest of his career. People are going to boo the shit out of him. And you know what? Who cares? Nobody cares. At the end of the day, you're going to get your money and you're, you know, you're fine there. But get in there and compete because you want to be in the best. You want to be the next LeBron or you want to be Kobe or you want to be whoever you want to be. But those guys, like them or hate them, they went through the trenches and dealt with their adversity and kicked the living shit out of it. And that's what superstars do. You're just not born a superstar because people, your agent tells you you're a superstar and all these media people jerk you off and tell you you're a superstar. You're a superstar because you earn that shit. You earn it day in and day out and you carry a fucking team. This ain't 2K. This ain't a fucking video game. This is real fucking life where you got to fucking carry a team. When you want to shit on Kevin Durant because he only averaged 20 whatever points a game in the media. But did you see what he's done his whole career? Steph Curry. Like the respect you need for those types of players that carry organizations. And then you go to the role player. They need to deal with adversity too, just to keep their spot every day. Mm. Yeah, Bruce so, Brown. Yeah. I mean, I thought Seth Curry, Seth Curry was a great piece in that trade. He was probably oh the, my he was probably the God, best. Yeah. <laughs> he was the X Factor out of that trade, really, for for, for Brooklyn side of things. But yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, and then, you know, elephant in the room is if he, if he doesn't play or play up to par, that's 20, 25, 30 million you got sitting on the bench. What did Brooklyn do? So um, hopefully he gets it right. He has a good off season. Um, don't post videos, Ben. Just get in the gym, do your thing, see a sports psych, get all that done. I think people want to see him. Everyone loves a bounce back story as much as they, they love to hate, right? Everyone loves to hate and throw darts, but everyone loves the bounce back too, especially in America. Like Australia, not so much, a bit tall poppy in Australia. But, <laughs> but um, America love that that rocky bounce back story. So he comes back firing, people are going to forget about the last couple of years. Did you see the Kyrie comments at the end of the season? No, I heard, I heard, I heard somebody, uh, Stephen A. Smith, did you see Stephen A. Smith? Yeah, Stephen I saw Stephen A. Smith him. did like a two minute clip of like, yeah. I think it was on Barstool, like, but what happened? I, I didn't see it both. Oh, for those not familiar with Stephen A. Smith, what Pro's talking about is Kyrie put out something saying that, um, you know, watch watch for all the people that just want to bash black athletes and, and hold us down oh, and all, of all of that. And then Stephen A. Smith just, you know, doubled down and um, not a fan of either of those comments, but it, it was what it was. But Kyrie made some comments at the end of the season that, that you know, he's excited to, to get together. He's, he's a free agent. Keep in mind, people, he's a free agent. Excited to get together with Joe, Sean. So Joe's the owner. Um, Sean's the GM and KD and uh, have a chat about the future pro. But what, what's missing from that conversation? Steve Nash? <laughs> yeah, fucking head coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so I, I don't know if it was... A gaff, or if it was pointed, but you, you read between the lines there, and 
it's not a great endorsement of your head coach when you've left him out of the conversation about how you're going to play ball next year. Tell you that much. Yeah, to be honest, if I'm Nashy, you know, he's got a, you know, I'd be on Manhattan Beach playing volleyball, hanging out with my kids and staring out in that sunset versus dealing with that bullshit every day, to be honest. But it's just <laughs> typical, you know, typical Kyrie stuff, man. I mean, look, Kyrie is an absolute superstar. I mean, he's one of the best ever to play the game at his position. I'll give him that. But you got to deal with a whole lot of shit, you know, a lot of baggage with him and the things that he says and the way that he acts and some of the things that he does. So you got you to gotta figure out, is this worth it? The production that he gives us, is it worth the stuff that we have to deal with off the court and the statements and all this stuff? You know, but like I said, you know, there's a few things you could say to get any out of any jam if you have any adversity. Mm-hmm. I got hacked, <laughs> COVID, mental health, or race. One of those four things will get you a get out of jail free card in the NBA. One of those four things is all you have to say. And you can literally murder somebody and get away with it. You just got to you don't don't pay millions of dollars for a lawyer, gentlemen. Just use one of those four statements and you'll get out of any problem you want in the NBA. Glaring. I mean, I hope I hope for Kari's sake it was a mistake, but um, yeah, I think Nash is probably thinking, what the hell did I get myself into? But he's been compensating for it at least. So anyway, we'll see how they go in the future. That'll be interesting to see their, their off-season. Miami-Atlanta, uh, pretty uneven series. Um, yeah. You had this as a sweep, I believe. Um, I, had a, I think we both had a 4-1 or 4-0, so we're pretty close there. It went 4-1. To Miami, Butler, 30 points, eight and five assists um, a night, which was fantastic. He was awesome for them and just got so much easy stuff. Um, they, they really attacked Trey Young. They got him involved in a lot of pick and rolls with Butler and, and Butler was just waltzing into the paint, um, mm-hmm. which was which was probably hard to watch at times if you're the Atlanta fans and head coach. DeAndre Hunter was probably the best for Atlanta. Um, you don't say that too often, 21.2 points a night. A decent clips, horror series for Trey Young. Horror series, like um, he was horrible for for pretty much bar one game. He was he was he was bad. Fifteen point four points on thirty one percent from the field and eighteen percent pro from the three. Um, he averaged more turnovers than assists pro. Do you know that? Six point two turnovers to six assists a night. Um, just bad. A horror series. One he'll forget about. I think this is the. This is the Michael Jordan moment um, from when he got knocked out of the playoffs constantly and um, although MJ played better, this is the Steph Curry earlier on in his career. This is where Trey Young's at in his career now. Um, what's he going to do in the offseason? How's he going to come back? He needs to get in the weight room and get a little bit stronger because they they just picked on him like a little baby defensively. <laughs> like it was For those that know know the game well, you watch that series, they had him involved as in as many actions as possible. This isn't the regular season pro where you can hide a bad defender. Um, you know, most teams in the regular season can hide a, a bad defender against like a feet set shooter or a guy that's not doing too much. In the playoffs, you, you, you know, you're scattered to death. They're, they're going to find you. They're going to put you in some action. They put Trey in a lot of action and it was a layup fest for the most part. His, his defense was as bad as those offensive numbers I read were. His defense was probably worse. So that's, that's saying something. Um, with Oladipo back, it shows you how deep Miami are. I mean, he slides straight into the starting lineup, has a hell of a game in that closeout game. Um, they're very, very deep, and I think they they got a chance to go pretty deep in the playoffs just just from a team aspect. They play the right way. They're enjoyable to watch. Um, but as far as the series, it was kind of to be expected, bro. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, without question, I I expected Atlanta, even though I didn't pick them to win a game, I, I expect them to have a little bit more fight than this. Like I said, it, you really should look yourself in the mirror in the playoffs and look at how you how you played, how you competed to figure out what your real value is in the NBA. Now, look, it's Trey Young, a, a garbage player. Absolutely not. He's a very good player, probably a top, I don't know, 12 player or so at his position. Um, but he did it, like you said, they picked on him. And he's got to figure out what's important to him, you know, you know, defensively, especially shot selection and percentage, you know, and, you know, and better just give a better effort defensively. I know he's got limitations. He's got size and length issues, but he needs to be able to because they're going to pick on him. Look, Steph Curry, remember they picked on him. Um, I don't know if it was Cleveland. Somebody picked on him and he, and he was a little rough with, you know, like forcing people were forcing him to guard. Well, he's gotten a lot better as a defender. And like I said, yeah, I think adversity, look, if you're a champion type player, I don't care if you win a championship or not, but if you're a great player and you get killed in a series based on your weakness, if you're any type of a superstar, you get in the offseason, you attack that weakness. You don't hide, hide from it and you don't shy away from it. You go with it. And I guarantee you Steph did that. Kobe did that. MJ did that. You know, Bird did that. Great competitors. And champion type players, they do that, and he's going to have to do it. And look, they, you know, I thought Bogdanovich had a pretty good series. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, I'm a huge fan of. You know, he comes up with 21 and four for the series. But Trey Young, I, I, you know, look, it's either feast or famine with him. You know, he either like makes 87 threes and he's like ridiculous throwing lobs and things. But now he shoots 31 percent, 18 percent, a lot on shot selection stuff. You know, and that's a problem. And, and Kevin Herter, same thing. Like, you know, he signs that big contract. You can't shoot 36%. You're making this big money anymore. You're not on your rookie deal. And people look at you differently when you sign that deal. You know, Robinson from, from Miami dealt with that when he struggled a little bit last year. But when you go 29%, 36%, 29 from the three, you know, people see like, what are you doing now? You know, so they got to, they sort of got to look themselves in the mirror. Now, Miami, they look great. You know, they, they, they do what they do. They share the ball. They play hard defensively. You know, um, guys like Max Strauss, you know, steps up for 14 a game and, you know, shooting 35 from the three. I mean, but they just do their, they do their thing in Miami. And uh, I think they'll head to the Eastern Conference Finals. I do think they'll have a really hard time with Boston, but I think uh, I think I expect them to roll through Philly pretty easily, probably like a 4-2 deal. But yeah, I, I I thought Miami had a hell of a series. It wasn't really that close at all. And uh, yeah, they're on they're on to the next round. I think Capella being out too um, didn't help because it, it made the glaring weakness of those primitive defenders even worse. <laughs> all of a sudden, yeah. Butler's turned the corner and it's a dunk or a layup instead of a floater or, or a ten footer. Right, so I think him being out definitely hurt them. But where, where did Atlanta go from here? From here, I mean that that a pretty ter- terrible year in my opinion. They. You know, they were pretty lucky to scrape in through the plane um, and get Cleveland and whatnot. But um, their roster is kind of what it is. It's like, what else can they really do? They can, you know, Gallinari's aging. Uh, Capella's getting older. He's he's had some injuries now. Trey Young's a young piece. Um, they try to emulate kind of what Golden State did, building around Steph. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look that way. So, what are your what are your thoughts about that? Folks, you got to figure out like, you know, do you want to put, you know, get the band back together and just roll with it and, and see what you have? I mean, 
it's hard, it's hard to some to sort of dictate what this team is. Like last year, they made that huge run. You know, they were like a game or two away from being in the finals, and you know, and now they are just they sort of got lapdog for five games, and then they were just bad. And what are you gonna you know what do you do? Look, obviously Trey Young's their guy, and they're gonna go forward with Trey. There's no doubt about it. You got to figure out what you do with John Collins. Now, John Collins was out too. So, I mean, that, that was a big deal. You know, Gallinari is aging. He's a, yeah, but you Collins, know, he's Collins, was, Collins was playing during the regular season, bro. <laughs> he was. Yeah, he was. That's true. You know. I'm not a huge John Collins fan. So, like, to me, I would see what you can get with John for John Collins. Um, you can deal Gallinari easily this offseason. He's got 21-5, and he's a, you know, he'll be an unrestricted free agent after next year. So, you could deal him. I would probably keep Capella. I do like that Capella Trey Young sort of matchup, you know, that sort of, you know, that duo sort of lobs, yeah. duo. Yeah. And then you got Bogdanovich, which, you know, he's got a player option that, well, he, he's got 18 next year, a player option in 23, 24 for 18. So, you know, you could, ideally, you could probably deal him, but I wouldn't. I would probably, if I was going to deal anybody, it's probably John Collins because you could probably get some value back for him. Herder, you got to figure out if Herder really has it in him to be a consistent shooter in the league. Um, I mean, obviously, he did so well as you know it, throughout his rookie deal and things, and he's just had a really tough year, in my opinion, this year. So you got to. I would probably keep him. And I would keep him. I would keep Trey. Obviously, you got a good player in Hunter. Um, you just keep on trying to sort of play around with it. I think you can get value for Collins. I do, and then you just got to figure out. And then the Gallinari deal, I probably, I'd probably trade him. And then I don't think you're going to get much, you know, except that's expiring million off your books. Yeah, he's expiring, so you might get something back. But Collins, I mean, I don't think they move Collins because they still don't know what he, where, what his bar is yet. So I think they keep him. I think it's probably a bit early in his deal. They might wait a year or two. Herder moves up to 14.5 million next season. They're 15th in cap this year, um, and they'll they'll move up probably close to the top 10. They'll be they'll go up another 10 million next season. So they're not hamstrung. Don't forget Trey. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. forget Trey kicks in. Yeah, yeah, Trey kicks into thirty million next year. So um, they have a little bit of room, but not. They can't. They can't make a big splash. They get a. I think they. Yeah, I think clearing Gallinari off your books um, will be key for them, and they don't really have much else. So yeah, they they got some moves to make, um, some money ball type stuff if they can pull it off. But um, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not liking their roster. I think you know, even the Knicks last season when they beat them and they had a decent run and beat Philly, obviously, but. Um, to go from a conference finals to barely making the playoffs with the same roster. Something's a miss there. So we'll see how Atlanta rebuilds. All right, let's preview the Eastern Conference semifinals um, real quick. Boston versus Milwaukee. So I have uh, I have Boston winning this 4-2 um, based on Middleton being out. I think he's going to be out for the series by all reports. It's not looking good. Um, even if he comes back late, I still think Boston 4-2. I think with Middleton, it would have went seven in a coin flip. Um, I think... I think Giannis um, will he'll he'll will them to a few wins um, alone himself. Um, I think you know. Question is, will Giannis see the KD coverage? I think he will. It's a little bit of a different beast because they put Giannis in different positions to attack face up rather than you know KD. A lot of his stuff was twenty foot catches back to the basket, turning into fadeaways. They could double that easier. K, uh, Giannis is a little bit harder to double like straight double because he's he's going at 500 miles an hour with a euro uh, step yeah. right so you can you can plug into elbows and boxes and and get get you know get your hand on, on a deflection or two but to hard double him in the middle of the floor 
is probably playing into Milwaukee's favor because they have so much shooting and, and they shot the piss out of the ball the first round. Like Grayson Allen, Lopez, I think Grayson Allen was 58% from three, I believe, in the first round, which is ridiculous. Um, if they continue to shoot that number, they can make it a series. But I think I think the Middleton is just that extra scorer they're missing. It puts a lot more pressure on Drew Holiday. Um, I think the, the X factor for Milwaukee, if Bobby Portis has a big series, they can they could potentially go to seven or win it. Um, Bobby Portis is going to be the key for them. But then that takes away a guy that's usually coming off the bench for a bench punch is now in your starting lineup. So I will go 4-2 for Boston Pro. Yeah, I, I go Boston 4-2 as well. I, I think that they're they're on autopilot right now. They've been on autopilot for over a month now, meaning they just they play the right way. They share the ball. They play D. This next man up mentality. They've done a great job. I think I think Boston goes to the finals, to be honest with you. I think that they're that good. And I don't think they're afraid of anybody. They've got two stars on their team. And then they've got a bunch of role players that play their role and they they play hard. They got a coach that's that's weren't, you know, that's weren't on the fly most of the year. And now he's sort of, you know, he he's sort of into his, you know, package of just being comfortable. And I think he's you know, he's, he's, you know, it's not wet behind the air stuff. I think he's been very good. You know, he's been a very good coach, you know, for the last half of the year for sure. And I think that they're going to, I think without Middleton, it's going to be hard for Milwaukee really to do it. You know, we see it all the time in the playoffs where, yeah, your role players make shots and they play hard and, and they try to will their way to victory. But when you need that extra score, because you know, they're going to do something to, to really take, you know, Giannis out as much as they can. And they're going to need that second score to really rely on. Yeah, Portis is tough and he can make plays and Grayson Allen can make shots and, you know, in Holiday, you know, Holiday does his thing. But I think they're going to really miss that scoring that Middleton gives them. And I think that Boston, it's just too good. Tatum's playing and Brown are playing just too much at a high level. Marcus Smart's making tough plays. Al Horford's making shots and he's doing his thing. I didn't. Ex- I expected Boston to be a playing team, to be honest with you, this year. And fuck, you know, now I got them going to the finals. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's going to be a good series. I, I expect it to be four two, but uh, who knows? But I, I, that's where I think it goes. Yeah, and Horford was huge for them too, actually, in that first round. So now they get Williams. Williams is starting to come back to health too, so they're back to their normal rotation. So I think that's going to be going to be key. But um, look, I think it's going to be a good series, regardless. I think it'll be a a, a dogfight of a series. Philly and Miami. I'm going Miami 4-2, factoring Embiid returning mid to late series. Um, we discussed he's out with an orbital fracture plus a concussion. Um, now I'm not a doctor, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to come back with a mask on. Uh, I just wouldn't be surprised um, if he if he came out maybe for game two or three. But um, I know with 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 facial stuff and concussion, you, you want to be very very careful, especially the concussion stuff. We know we know how bad that can be long term. But I think Embiid knows. What is what's at stake, um, and I, th- I think he'll be feeling that pressure. I think Harden has to have a thirty and ten series to give Philly a legitimate chance. The ball's going to be back in his hands, bro. This is going to be the Houston Rockets light. Um, the ball's going to be back in his hands. Look, Maxi will get a little bit of a spell on it, but I think if Harden can have that series and salvage it to two two after four, and they get Embiid back, they got a chance. But I think Miami are going to be very very deep. I think. Um, this helps Miami, obviously, Embiid being out, but also Miami don't, you know, you don't want Bam guarding Embiid for long stretches and getting him in foul trouble because Bam provides so much for them offensively as well um, with, with the split action, the handoff stuff, the flow stuff, the pick and roll stuff, great decision maker, great passer, you know, high assist center. 
Their backup is Dwayne Dedman, who's a bit lighter as well in the arse. Um, so they didn't really have a bruising big to battle Embiid. So this is kind of worked in their favor. Does Thibel five minutes again? That's going to be the interesting one. I think he will with the way Butler's playing. Um, Danny Green and Thibel will get that assignment. And I think Thibault will get that assignment on Hero coming off the bench. Um, then you've got Oladipo will get the, probably the worst defender. So I think he can have a series. Got to keep Butler out of the paint. Now, probably an anomaly because Atlanta was so bad, but he was 12.5 points a night in the paint in the first round, pro, which is inexcusable. 13-odd um, points a night with a foot in the paint is is, is not good. Um, as we know, Atlanta are horrible defensively, but they got to keep him out of the paint because Butler's historically not a great three-point shooter. Um, likes the mid-range a little bit better. Wasn't great in the mid-range in the first round either, but the 13 points a night bumped him up to his 28 and the rest was from the free throw line. So that's kind of where you're at with that. But I, look, I hope MB can get healthy so we can see a good series. But um, I just wonder if you'll, if you'll try to rush back or if they hold him back. Well, I think if there's one player that doesn't have anxiety and doesn't want to compete, it's not Joel Embiid. You know, that guy would come in and, and he is a tough kid, man. He is tough. You could say what you want about him. Anyone can say what they want. The guy's not only super talented, but he's super tough. And I think he's got a lot of integrity and character. And uh, I think he'd come back in game one if he could. Um, I'm not a doctor. I have no idea about that stuff. But um, I did just remember what Rondo had to deal with with that. And it, it's a tough deal to come back from. But I think he'd, you know, he'll try to prolong it maybe and, and, and try to maybe make it make it out there. I think it's going to be a 4-1, maybe 4-2. I, I don't expect them. You know, I don't expect him to be a huge factor in this just because of it's just going to, I mean, may, if he is, God bless him. But I just don't see him being a huge factor because I think that's going to be a really tough case to come back from. And um, I expect Miami just to roll all over him. I, I, I don't think Harden's good enough. You know, I don't think Harden's playing well enough to do that. Maxi had an unbelievable last game. We, I didn't even mention that um, against Toronto. I mean, he made everything. I, you, know, you would have thought he, you know, he owed somebody money. He was making so many shots in a row. And um, but I, I don't think they have enough. And I, I think that. You know, I expect Miami to just sort of take advantage of that and, you know, just just play hard defensively and offensively, just share the ball, make shots. You know, I expect Hero to have a big series. Obviously, Butler's going to do his thing. Bam's going to be tough. It'll be, uh, you know, I expect it to be probably a 4-1, 4-2 deal. Yeah, I think it's going to be around that. Uh, it all depends on, as we said, the injuries and, and Embiid coming back. But I hope, I would not be surprised if he runs out with a mask in game one or two. So we'll see how that goes. Let's get to the West. Um, Denver, Golden State. Now you, for some reason, picked Denver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always get sucked in. I always get sucked in votes to how good a team's playing at the end of the yeah. year and how bad a team's playing at the end of the year. I always get sucked into it. And and it was a three six, wasn't it? So um, yeah, I mean, sometimes they. they I'm an idiot. They can flip, but Golden State's hard to pick against. I mean, they they go four one. Jokic thirty one, thirteen and six. Um, so he did what he's done all season. The, the the big thing was that I think Golden State limited his assist numbers for the most part, which was very, very important. Um, I think they were like, you know, if you, you're going to grind to get your 30 with Draymond doing every smart thing in the book to try and make it hard for you, we're not going to let you get 10, 15 assists. And, and historically, regular season playoffs, when Jokic has that big points assist line, um, the rebounds are one thing, but the big, like a 30 and 10, they, they, they win those games. So, because you've got other guys involved. Steph was 28, 5 and 3. Um, so he, he came back off the bench, mind you, uh, for the most part of that series and then, then started late in that series. Horror series, 
I'm just going the whole team of Denver. Um, the, the next highest scorer after Jokic was Monte Morris at 14 a night. It just put too much on Jokic. I mean, he, he had to he had to play perfect basketball for them to to be in the game late, not just win the game, just to be in the game with a chance. Draymond Green made him work. Um, you know, they, I didn't think they'd go to huge stretches with him as much as they did guarding one-on-one because Draymond's so important to him offensively and, and so important as a Rome guy. Look, they started the series roaming off Aaron Gordon, which I predicted, and, and, and then Malone made a bit of adjustments and started putting Gordon in the dunker spot and trying to get him move around and shuffle around, which was a great adjustment. But Draymond did a phenomenal job. And, um, you know, you look at, Look at how hard he made Jokic work. Jokic was was gassed into that series because you know Draymond's going to hold. He's going to grab. He's going to hit you really hard. One possession, then the next possession, he's going to take a charge and, and just he's he's mind game defender and, and very very smart. Got that big steal late in one of the games that sealed it. So it was a phenomenal battle to watch. Uh, mono mono chess chess game between those two, and I think that was a fun battle to watch. But like I said, when Jokic's assist numbers are down, they, they generally don't win, and just not enough help. For Jokic, um, we know they have two really good players that, that didn't play. It would have been a different series with them in it. Um, and, and I guess the where to for Denver is pretty obvious. It's it's Porter Jr. and Murray getting healthy and seeing what this roster looks like with everyone healthy together. Um, I don't think they have to make glaring changes, um, but if, if the health's just going to be the biggest thing for them in the offseason, get those guys healthy, get them ready. Porter Jr., I don't like the long-term prospects of him being healthy the rest of his career he's been he's been in all kinds of trouble since college and it's you know have a back issue this young with the level of athleticism he plays with is really really concerning Murray's a different one um, I think he'll be fine but um, that, that's where I'm at with that one I think Denver's Denver doesn't need to blow it up they just need to make a few little small tweaks and, and just get healthy yeah they just didn't have enough I mean they played so well during the regular season with this but in the in the you know in the playoffs you need just that extra scoring and Look, Jokic averages what thirty-one and thirteen, but like you know, Golden State comes at you with Steph averaging twenty-eight, mostly off the bench, and then you got twenty-two from Clay and twenty-one from Jordan Poole, and you know, look, your All Star scored fourteen, you know, yeah. Wiggins scores fourteen, you know what I'm saying? Like they just had too much scoring, and with Denver, look, they had valiant effort for sure. You know, with, you know, Monty, Monty Morris averaging 14 and Barton 13.8 and Gordon 13.8 and, you know, Cousins even trying to chip in with 10. It just didn't have enough. They didn't have enough star power. Didn't have enough, enough scoring. And, and look, Golden State did a hell of a job defensively with, with, you know, it's funny, like everything you hear about Golden State's offensively, but what they can do defensively, especially with Draymond healthy is, uh, as you know, you had a you know you were right there with it, and you saw it every day, and it's it's a it's a beautiful thing to watch, and and that's just sort of what it is, and yeah, and for Denver, look, I don't think you got to see what you have with those two guys being healthy. I don't think I'm not a doctor, but I think Porter Jr. will struggle with that. You know, it's not like a knee or God forbid an Achilles, like where you get it, but with sports science, it's been so great with the comebacks now with knees and Achilles, like look at what Dwight Powell's doing with his Achilles deal. You know, he's coming full, he's full strength, you know, a year and a half out. And I don't know with the back though, like I haven't seen many good things with the back in a while, as far as long-term, you know, success with it, but who knows? I hope, hopefully it does have it. I don't think they should make any, you know, huge changes, couple of, you know, they'll have a draft pick and then, you know, they'll have their draft and they could bring in some vet minimum guys and maybe maybe a vet, uh, a mid-level accept 
sorry about that folks but uh so maybe they'll have some of that so i don't know um a couple of tweets here and there like you said and they'll be right there they'll be right back yeah exactly nothing nothing too drastic not panic stations for them phoenix new orleans um, four two for Phoenix. This was a this was one of the best one eights I've seen in a long, long time, bro. I think it was a very, very good series. Um, I think New Orleans should be very proud of the way they they battled. Um, this is kind of my point with Chicago. Uh, this is what it should have looked like. Atlanta. Um, it should have looked like this series. Um, they sort of lost, but they battled and and gained a lot of respect. Um, CP three twenty two and eleven. He was phenomenal in the last two games, especially had that fourteen for fourteen game in in the closeout. Ingram, 27, 6, and 6 was, was I think this is now becoming his team. Um, the letdown of the series for me was CJ McCollum. He, he hit his 22 points, but really poor clips. 39% from the field and 33% from the three. Just not going to get it done in a playoff series. Jose Alvarado just earned himself an NBA deal for life, I think. Um, he was phenomenal. Um, you know, just <clears throat> just those one percenters of, of – Chris Paul didn't want to bring the ball up. I don't know if you noticed it, Pro, but he was. <laughs> yeah. When Alvarado was in the game, he was throwing it to the two guard and just trotting up the court because he was like, "I'm not." You know, it, take, it takes a lot of energy with that little handbag on you and making you turn. And he picked him a few times and got a few eight second calls. He was a phenomenal energy guy for them. Um, it goes to show you that scouts can be wrong. He was in the G League for the most of most of the season, and they bring him up, and he's just a ball of energy that you can play. You know, ten or fifteen minutes a night in the regular season to give you. A nice little punch, so good for him. He'll he'll earn himself a he'll be in the NBA for the rest of his career. Like I said, fantastic series. Um, New Orleans should be proud. Um, no Booker, so it made it a little bit more challenging for Phoenix. But uh, CP3, you know, he's he's veteran savvy. He's still unmatched in this uh, in this league. But for me, where to for New Orleans? Um, I think they've got a good good core. They're starting to get a good core together of guys that. You know, CJ was quoted as he wants to re-sign there and, and be there the rest of his career. Now you can take that as for what it's worth. We've heard, you know, every player say that and then ask for a trade a year later. Um, but that's what he said on record. Um, Ingram's continuing to grow as a player. I think he's getting better and better. He's, you know, he's going to be a player for a long, long time. Zion's up for the contract extension and they're talking about doing it. Um, I'm kind of, we know that they have to do it no matter what, but. I just, I just worry that you bring him into the fold and things can potentially change because you're going to have that wrestle now of is Zion that guy? It's going to be like Ingram. This is still my team. He's still having those young guy battles about whose team it is. Um, I hope that doesn't happen, but I could see it happening with Zion. But you know, it'd be interesting to see with him healthy what the team looks like moving on. But um, I like what they're building as a core. I hope Zion doesn't resign and derail that because I think they're they're trending in the right direction, and I'm looking forward to what they do in the off-season. Not a lot of moves they need to make, I don't think. Maybe another veteran or two, but I think keep this core together and they have a chance to be, you know, potentially a second-round team next season. Yeah, I mean, two things that was glaring. Um, a, that Alvarado made himself a lot of money and it goes to show you that it doesn't matter what anyone says about you, what anyone has you ranked or rated or what they think of you. If you have tunnel vision and you say, you know what, this is how I'm going to get in the league. I got a plan. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be coachable. It's cool. But the biggest thing I think you you learned out of this is Brandon Ingram is going to be a superstar and, you know, not a top five player, but I take him over Donovan Mitchell yesterday. I would, because I know what 100%. he can do. Yeah. I know what I can do. I had him rated, well, I had him rated, I had Mitchell rated ahead after this, after Mitchell series and this series, 
I have Ingram definitely a top, you know, top 15 to, you know, 17 player in the NBA without question. And I think that that's what this happens. Like when you get hit with adversity and you're forced to do these things, you just keep getting better and better. Look, he wasn't mentally or like just maturity wise. He wasn't ready when he was in LA in his early years in, in New Orleans. But you know what happens every year? You, you get a little better. You get a little more professional. You get a little bit more. You know what? You know, you start closing the gap on some of these weaknesses in your game on and off the court. And he's shown that, look, he could carry a team. And I think it's a good combination with Ingram and McCollum. I think that um, I think that they should resign as I am because that's what they do. And what I would do, and I wouldn't tell any player that because it will get out in two seconds, but I'll say, okay, let's set our clock to about 12 to 18 months after he signs that deal. We're going to we're going to just keep shopping it. We're going to get him on the court. We're going to he needs to be able to put up numbers because for you to go on as an organization, you're going to have to get full value for him and you got to make him look good the best you can. And you got to keep Ingram in the in the fold. You know, McCollum at that point will be 31, 32, still could probably help a team. And then you get all these role players like Herbert Jones and Nance and Alvarado and Hayes. You keep those guys in the mix. You keep drafting, but you get a load of you. You try to load up on what whoever is desperate enough to give you a treasure chest back for Zion, and that's what you do because you're going to have to resign him because you can't really get a lot of value for him dealing him in his rookie deal. You're going to have to wait until you sign him, and you know to get, in my opinion, to get max value. Um, so that's what I'm doing. If I'm them, I love the Ingram deal. I think Ingram's going to be a hell of a player in this league. He, he, he had my respect before, but he has a lot of my respect now. As far as the Phoenix deal without Booker, you know, they, you know, well, Booker sort of not 100%. It was tough, but they battled through it. You know, Paul, Aiton, Bridges, you know, the, the regular, the regular names. And uh, look, they're, I think the, obviously the big time playoff run last year to the finals, you know, really, you know, stuck this group together. They play hard. They play together. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a series of them in Dallas. I still think Dallas will beat them, but even with the full strength team, but I think that, you know, they, they had a hell of a series and they battled through. I don't think a lot of people, once Booker went down with that hamstring, I don't think they gave him a lot of chances to, I thought a lot of people were crumbling a little bit about their chances to win that series. And, you know, New Orleans pushed him to the edge. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to that Phoenix-Dallas series for sure. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But, um, yeah, I think the same. I, I, I didn't really have a doubt that Phoenix would still win even without Booker because I knew all that's, all that's going to happen is the ball's going to be in CP3's hands more and he's going to get in the right shot every possession and that's exactly what happened. So um, I guess, yeah, it's it's – Positive for New Orleans. I agree with you on Zion. They kind of have to do it, and then and then see see where it goes, and then move him move him off a season where he's twenty and ten. Um, hopefully, if, if that's what they do. But uh, they're in, if you're a New Orleans Pelicans fan, I think you're in you're in good stead. So you should have some positivity going into the off season. All right, Dallas, Utah, Luca Doncic, 29-10 and five and six a night essentially. Um, in three games, obviously, he missed the first couple. And then Brunson was was 27.8 and 4.2 assists. He was awesome for him. I mean, the best player for me would have been Jordan Clarkson, in my opinion, just because he shot good clips. Uh, he was 17.5 points at 55% from the field and 30, almost 38% from three and almost 90% from the line. So I think he was probably their best um, reliable 
asset as far as shooting numbers. Uh, Bogdanovich was at 48%, so he wasn't horrible, and he averaged a little bit over Clarkson. Donovan Mitchell was 25.5 points on horrible clips. He was below 40% from the field. He was 20% from three, um, and then was was five assists and almost three turnovers. So that's where that lies. But the horror series was Mike Conley Jr. Um, he was he was really bad. Um, Nine point two and five on thirty three percent from the field and twenty percent from three with two point two turnovers. So something you're not accustomed to putting. Mike Conley is usually that savvy vet that's not going to turn the ball over. You're going to get the right shot. He takes the right shot. Doesn't shoot bad shots and. He just had a bad series. I, I don't know what's up with that. Um, Utah was just disappointing. I think their whole regular season was disappointing. Um, they had a little run there mid, mid, mid-season when they went on a little little hot streak, but um, they, they should have took advantage of Luka being out. It should have been, you know, they squandered some games early on in that series. Dallas looked very good pro, I agree with you. I'm finally joining the Dallas ship a little bit. I, I think um, they just... They're, they're, they're sinking together very, very nicely. Um, they've got role players that understand their roles. They've got key defenders in key positions. They've got long wings. They've got athletic bigs. They play together. And in my opinion, they have the best star left in the playoffs, I think, in Luka Doncic. I think he's the best star remaining. I mean, some, some might say Ja Morant. Some might say Steph Curry. Um, but I would say Luka Doncic is the best superstar left in the playoffs and he's going to carry him now. The Jazz Pro, they, they missed 78 of their last 100 three-point shots in that, in that series. Yeah. Um, and I want to ask you about the last play. I, I chimed in a little bit and got a little bit of pushback. But I did, I saw that. I think my, my point was uh, that the curl was there. The curl was there, but, but looking at the replay, the pass was thrown early, but my point was that, you know, I know they draw it up for a three, the rule of thumb is if you're at home, you go for overtime. If you're on the road, you go for the win. So I think the play that was drawn up was a fantastic play, but I think there should have been a read on there where, you know, if he chases you over the top with that whole side cleared out, you know, and they they had no one in the paint. If he curls that, that's a layup. Um, No one's getting to him to foul him. And then on the pump fake, he wouldn't have got to the rim. I I don't think people said he could have dribbled in and laid it up, but the sun would have got there and fouled him at at minimum. But what are your thoughts on it? I know know it happens quick in split second. We can be hindsight heroes, but surely, surely we know there's the emphasis on the three. Uh, H-Bob chimed in and said, no, the three was good, you know, numbers-wise and gave me some analytics. But just as as a basketball player, I would look at that as like I would, you know, peek over my shoulder right at the point of the screen and if I see my guys trailing, I hard curl it and just, just you know, and then maybe you have a, a pick and pop shooter set in that screen so that if I curl and someone someone helps, I can pop back and then hit that three. But I think it was a read and react play. It was, it was a quick hitter, so it's hard to, to do in hindsight. But what were your thoughts on it? My thoughts were, were they were so pathetic in the late third in most of the fourth quarter. I mean, they, they made a In multiple effort. games. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And Utah made a great effort at the end. I didn't think they could even like get in contention. I thought they were going to lay down, which they did again, most of that third quarter. They had like a 10 point lead, maybe at halftime or heading into halftime. And then, that, and then Dallas just did whatever they wanted. And I thought they were pathetic. I thought that, that they just let Dallas do whatever they wanted. And at the last play, like I said, they were so bad, you might as well have gone for the win and say, fuck it, because in overtime, we're going to get our ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. Luke is like that Terminator that, like those thinkers, the, the Larry Birds, the Rondos, the Magic Johnsons, the, the real thinkers in the game when they were at high levels, of course, like they just figure it out. 
And like, it's just, they're like cyborgs and like Luca just knows, like knows where to get the ball, when to shoot the ball. Not perfect, but like the guy's just that smart. You know, look, there's difference between being a superstar that can get 30 and a superstar that could just tear you apart with passing and driving and shooting. And that's what he does. So for me, I thought Bogdanovich was their best player. I really liked how Jordan Clarkson played, but I thought Bogdanovich, when they needed baskets, most of the series, that guy was very dependable. He had some, you know, weak moments at times, but I thought he was really good. I thought he, he had a great look at it. I mean, shit. I mean, it was right there. He could, in my opinion, yeah, he could have done one dribble pull up as well. And he would have still got the shot off and maybe he would have got more rhythm with it. But I'm good with it. I didn't. I wasn't good with it just because it was a three. But like my thing was like go for the win. Had a great look at it. You're wide open. Guy overplayed it, and you might as well have gone for it. I don't care. I get your logic though. Like home team playoffs, but they were so fucking bad. Like that. I, I, that they, somebody's got to put a book out or something. What happened behind the scenes in that team? They're built like a good team. A gr- not a great team, but a very good team. And they were just so disappointing from probably January one on, maybe all-star break on. Well, they got all the pieces. That's what's weird. They got all, they got the superstar, quote-unquote, Mitchell. They've got a great six-man punch with Jordan Clarkson. They've got a great second fiddle scorer in, in, in Bogdanovich. They've got a savvy vet in Conley Jr. Um, Royce O'Neal's a good role player, physical defender. Uh, Rudy Gobert is an elite defender in the paint. It's like they've got all the pieces that you look on on paper, but some yeah, some something's amiss. I think culturally in that locker room as well. I, I just don't think they get it yet. Um, you know, Joe Ingles, baby, you lose Joe, you lose Utah. So <laughs> yeah, right. I think he was important. He was an important part of their team. I think he was a steadier. Like I said, you could move him to the point when Donovan when when Conley goes out, you could move him to the point he'd get other guys involved. I think Rudy really struggled without Joe. Joe would Joe would get Rudy two or three dunks a game easily either a lob or, or a drop pass out of the pick and roll. But um, Dallas moves on. We're two from Utah. I mean, we're two for Utah. I mean, they're, they're, they're you know, I, I said at the start of this season, if this doesn't get them to a second, third round, you have to almost blow it up. Um, I, I just don't see how this, this this team's potential is this. It's a first round exit team. Maybe second round, you, second round might be a championship. Um, they just... It just it's not working. I don't think it's a it's a little tweak here or there. I think they're going to have to make a splash, and I think you know we'll get to it in the fact or fake news. But there's there's probably going to be some trades in the off season for Utah, and then Quinn Snyder as well. I mean, does he stick around or does he go? He's rumored to the Lakers again, and um, who isn't rumored to the Lakers? But he's he's rumored, and he'll be he will be sought out. I think he is a respected, good coach. Um, but there there will be a changing of the guard, and we know Danny Ainge is there, so he will he will have his fingerprints all over that roster. Yeah, I predict I predict a blow up to be honest, and we'll talk about it. In fact, the fake news, but um, yeah, they just they're gonna have to make a move. Those two guys, I don't care if they're best of friends or not best of friends. The perception is they're not, and then they need to make they need to move one of them or both of them. That's, that's Rudy and Mitchell you're referring to, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, Rudy and Mitchell. Yeah, we talked about it for a while, and um, I, I think you're gonna have to move one, if not both. And you know, it, it depends, like. Does Danny want to move both of them? And it's a big rebuild. Like, does Danny really want to be there until he's 70 years old? You know, Danny's 63. Do you want to be there till you're 70? Or you just want to put them in the right direction? And then, you know, whenever you want to leave there, you leave there. But I, I'm, I'm predicting, you know, there'll be some changes there, of course. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. They have a good team. They have good defensive. It's just tough. And, 
Yeah, look, credit to Dallas. I mean, they played great. Jalen Brunson made himself, you know, going into the series, I thought maybe like, you know, definitely 20 a year. I think I think he might get upwards of 30 a year. I mean, the way he played, you know, and carried them without Luka was was very special. And obviously what Luka did, I thought Doncic stepped up. Reggie Bullock had a great – first of all, can that announcer on MT, NBA TV stop calling a block? Like, what the fuck is that? I thought it was Bullock, but maybe it's my Boston accent. I don't know. But, like, I thought he played – I thought Bullock played great. I thought Dwight Powell played his role. I thought Maxi played well. I mean, they, they are a tough fucking out. And Josh Green still getting 10, 11 minutes a night doesn't do, like, a hell of a lot. But, like, he'll make a shot here and there. He'll make a play here and there when they need it. Um, you know, he won't be a huge factor in the playoffs, of course. But, like, he's gotten a lot of development throughout the playoffs. But I think I think they're tough, man. I, I think, like I said, I think they're going to make the finals. They might even win this thing. Luka Doncic, in my opinion, I think after these playoffs, I'll probably have him rated number one in the league. I, I think that this guy is, you know, he, he's obviously been great this long the last few years, but, you know, what this guy can do for a team, you know, because look, you, you look at it individually, like Brunson's good, but look, I, I don't think Brunson's in your top two on a great team. I think he's yeah, like, he's probably a third best player in my opinion, maybe two and a half. And then you've got a bunch of these guys that are really good role players. And look, they're, they got a good chance to get to the finals. Not, it's not a 90% chance to get to the finals, but that they're rolling. They've rolled since the trading deadline, since they, you know, they brought in Dinwiddie and, you know, they brought in Dinwiddie and Bertans. I mean, it's, they're just rolling. It's like Boston. It's like offensively, defensively, the ball moves, they're close. This team's the most tight-knit team I've ever been around. It, you know, like I've ever seen. I, I've never been around a team that tight in my life. It you just seem like they're pushing for each other. Everybody's going for it. Yeah. So I, I think uh, I think they're going to be a tough out. They are. They are. They're playing really good basketball at the right time. The uh, Memphis and Minnesota. Memphis goes four two in that series. Uh, we both got that one right. Series leaders. Ja Morant um, near triple double for the series. Twenty one point five, ten point five, and eight point seven. Desmond Bain had a series with insane numbers. He was 24 points on 49% from the field, 48% from three and 90 from the line. So that's a hell of a, that's an all-time series right there on shooting clips alone. And he takes some tough ones. Um, Cat was 21.8 and 10 or 11 odd rebounds. A few assists and Edwards was uh, 25.2. Let down in the series, D'Angelo Russell. Welcome to the trade market, baby. Um, 12 points on poor percentage. Um, real poor percentage. He was, he was in the 30s. Um, didn't really bring a lot. Lost a lot of his minutes um, to wasn't McLaughlin um, <laughs> in that in that backup role. He, he played well in that last game. Very swingy series. Um, it was very very ugly at times. It was. <laughs> I don't know that game. I don't know if you saw the game yesterday, but the first quarter was just the they, they needed some circus music in the first six minutes because it was. Turnover, come down, turnover, deflection, out of bounds, bad shot. It was it was ugly, and, and a lot of the series was like that, but very swingy, man, very, very swingy. Minnesota had multiple big leads early in the series and mid-series and just couldn't close. Um, funnily enough, every time Cat made some sort of uh, meme-type reference to shushing the crowd or the comment in the timeout, where we're in Minnesota now when they were up thir- you know, 20 and they ended up losing both those games whenever he made those silly comments. Um, but look, I think... To be expected, uh, I think it's a positive year for Minnesota, even though they got bounced. I think they fought hard in that series. They, had, they probably had a, you know, people could argue they should have won that series, right? They won the driver's seat for a lot of those games. But 
I didn't have them in the playoffs because I just wasn't sold on that group and I wasn't sold on Cat's maturity and, and what they had there, but they've taken a big step forward and I think they're in, a, they're in a good spot to continue to build with this young group. You keep it together. I don't think they make any big splashes in the off-season, maybe bring a couple of veterans in if they can that see that team potentially as a you know, a semi-final or a conference final team in the next couple of years and you latch onto that bandwagon, but they're, uh, they're in good stead. I, I, I like where Minnesota's at for the first time in, in a number of years. They finally broke the playoff hoodoo and um, not all, not all sour milk for them. I think they should be proud of the way they've gone this season. Just, just young, dumb mistakes, pro. You know, just haven't been in the playoffs before. Young and dumb, couldn't close games out, and they'll they'll learn from this series hopefully and and build next season. Yeah, look, you you did the hardest part. You got Anthony Edwards, who's going to be a superstar in the league. You know, in the next couple of years, he's going to be, you know, possibly a top ten talent. Right. Um, I think Russell's the guy who doesn't really fit in what, what you're trying to do, uh, in my opinion. I think that that's, the, you know, bringing him in as ferocious as they tried to bring him in and the assets that they uh, you know had a shell out the door to get him wasn't really worth it. Now, he played pretty well during the regular season. I think he was around 18 and 7. You know, he played well, but they got Edwards, who's their superstar. Uh, Towns, you can move uh, if you want to. But you've got this team sort of playing the way they want to play, and they've got some success, you know, for sure. And I think that they, you know, when you have a superstar on your team and you've got all these role players that play well, you know, you got Patrick Beverly and Vanderbilt and, you know, guys like that that just play play hard. McLaughlin and, you know, Nas Reed plays well. Like, you know, they pull for each other. They're tough. They, you know, they play hard. And like I said, they, they got – you know, Anthony Towns and Edwards could really carry the mail and Russell at times can do some things, but I think they got to move Russell, to be honest with you. See if you can get some type of value. I don't think anybody's going to be like, you know, begging you to, to, to get them sort of D'Angelo's stuff, but you know, maybe they view him as like a dimwitty, like a guy who could score points in a team that, you know, the team that needs a little bit more firepower might trade you something for him. And, you know, maybe you just swap bad contracts for him, but you get another guy that will fit in a little bit more. Who knows? But um, yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, can you win with Towns going forward? But yeah, it, it's 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 a weird deal in Minnesota, but I think they did really well. They overachieved. Not overachieved, but they played well. They upped their game. They're going to be, I think they'll be a finals, a top seven, top eight team, you know, maybe a top six team coming forward, maybe a little even better than that. But they're, they're, they're good. And the Western Conference is tough, as we know. Now, you look at, you know, you look at the other side, you look at Memphis. And I mean, man, what what's not to like about Memphis? You've got, you know, you've got, you got great players. Obviously, you got John Morant, you got Desmond Bain, who's going to get a hell of a hell of a contract, you know, he, he's going to probably get north of 30 million. And, you know, he's, he's just done really well for himself, a guy that, you know, a lot of people passed up on Jaron Jackson, you know, obviously playing his game, you know, obviously the star in John Moran, it's, um, they're going to be a tough out too. I mean, look, I think Dallas will win the West, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if these guys really, you know, really put it on somebody and, and, and get to a conference final. And hey, who knows? I mean, why not? Like, you know, I think the West is a little bit wide open. They play hard. They're, they're a good team. You know, why not Memphis? But um, I think they're, you know, it'll be fun. The rest of the playoffs um, in the Western Conference for sure is going to be fun. Yeah, I think both both conferences are going to be great. Um, and moving on to Memphis, Memphis and Golden State, um, I think it's going to be a great series. I think um, I still have Golden State 4-2 again. 
I think it's going to be a small ball battle for the ages, bro. Um, Steven Adams is is out of the rotation anyway, but he does have COVID. But he's, I mean, this is a, this is another series where they 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 wouldn't play him anyway. Um, I think they go small at times uh, with a, with a mobile five as much as they can. Um, who guards Morant to start is probably the question. Um, and who who to Golden who to Golden State start? I mean, that's that's going to be the interesting one. You know, steps back to full health. Do we see the same lineup as we saw in Game Five? Do, do they bring in a defender with you know? Do they have Wiggins starting on Morant? I think he'll probably get the start on Morant. Um, Clay will have patches where he'll guard him. But I think it's going to be a really fun series. It's it's. I saw Draymond Green's comments around Memphis, and um, I, he referenced something along the lines of. Memphis is that team that, that that just doesn't know, so they just play, um, mm-hmm. which can be good and bad, right? They just play. They're just like, ah, oh. yeah. they're not. They're, it's not this. They're not scared of the moment. They don't. They don't know about the moment. They're just like, ah, oh, whatever. We just go and play, and that, that's how they are. They're a young team, kind of young and dumb, you know, where they can. They'll run through that brick wall and sometimes knock it down, and then sometimes they'll get flattened by it, you know. And that's that's a good quality to have and a bad quality if it's if it's put on the right track. So I thought that was an interesting quote by him, and I totally agree there. That's why they're dangerous because they, I don't think they really wallow in mistakes. Like they'll turn over five straight possessions and still do the same thing the sixth time because they're not afraid, right? So uh, real fun series there. But I think Memphis will get a wake up call into what what playoff basketball is against a great team that, that's going to make adjustments on the fly, that's going to tweak things. They're going to, they're going to find certain guys to pick on in that series, both on the offensive end and defensive end, and they're going to, they're going to get a wake-up call to, to what it's really about. This is no Minnesota that's going to you know, make the same mistakes we're making because they're a young team. They're going to, you know, if you beat Golden State, you can't have a 10-plus turnover game. You can't have a game where you come up dry four straight possessions because they're just going to punish you to death. And the thing I noticed about Golden State to beat them, I tweeted about this last week, is Golden State's, no matter what the score is, they're going to make a run. And it's usually in that end of the third, start of the fourth, mid-fourth, they're going to make a run. So if you're up 10, they're going to make a run on you. Now, do you let that 6-0 run turn into an 18-2 run? That That's the big one. And Popovich was great at this. He, he was notorious for taking timeouts to stem that flow. Notorious. Like we had games where we come out Eight and zero in the first quarter, and before and zero, he took a timeout because he knew he felt the rhythm and the pace. We're getting our shot up in the first ten seconds of a shot clock. Bang, bang, bang! Timeout. Like I'm not messing with this. Um, and the teams that get in trouble with Golden State is they, they let that six zero run affect them to get to you know it ends up being a thirty to twelve quarter and you're out of the game. So if they can sustain that, uh, that's where I think they'll have their problem though because they they're young and dumb and um, which I'm saying in a complimentary way is that. Golden State might go on that run, and they'll try to get that run back on them. Oh, we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to shoot it straight back. And I think they're not there yet to do that. So I'm going four two for Golden State, bro. Yeah, I'm going to go four three Golden State, which is tough because winning a game seven um, on the road is almost impossible in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm still going to go with Golden State, but I think I think it's, it's going to be a tough series. Um, I think it's going to be tough on both. I think that Morant is going to have to figure out, like you said. You know, he's gonna have to figure some things out. He's a superstar. He's he's gonna be the one with everything on his shoulders. So he's gonna have to figure some things out as far as his, you know, being efficient, keeping, you know, taking care of taking care of the ball defensively, what to do, gotta get in the paint and live in the paint, gotta stop runs that Golden State has. Cause the experience thing is really, like you said, young and dumb is you know, good and bad. It's mostly good because especially if you're the young team, but um, 
the veteran team that has the experience that like you can go on a 10 2 run on a team like that. And they'll be like, all right, you know, we'll make some tweaks and we're good like coaching staff and players. So um, I don't think when Memphis has enough. And I think even though they're the two seed and the, they got the higher seed and all, I do think that uh, I think golden state would win in seven, but it's going to be a hell of a series. It'll be fun. It'll be enjoyable. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm looking forward to the next one too in Dallas Phoenix. I think this one goes seven, pro, and I think it's a coin flip. I think it is a coin flip. You can flip a coin. Um, I, I'm, I agree with you. I think Dallas Dallas can steal this, but I've just I'm just going to go with Phoenix based on home court. Um, but but I think I think it is. This is going to be a close series and a coin flip. Luca's going to he's going to make some big shots and win him some games in this series. CP3 is going to grind him down. Um, you know, Booker's got to have a series as well. Aiden's probably the X factor for them. I mean, there's no real brute big. I think um, Dwight's, you know, powers a, 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 a very kind of technically, defender, yeah, technically sound guy in your roster, but he's not going to be an intimidating factor to shut someone down. I think Aiden will probably have a series for them to, for them to get through, but I, I think this is going to be a phenomenal series. I'm really excited to see it. Dallas's pace is, has been slower now. I don't know. You know they played Utah, who's one of the slower, slower paced teams in the league. So their Dallas is just naturally was slow as well. Phoenix are a bit more faster, so it's going to be a good match to see the push or pull. I think Dallas likes to play in that moderate. They're probably they don't want to go full ball, but they don't want to go slow. They want to be whereas Memphis is edging more towards that faster pace when they're in their flow. So that'll be interesting to see with where the, where the adjustments go there. But um, yeah, I mean. Brunson had a series offensively last last series, but he's going to have to have a series defensively this this series and just be sound against Chris Paul because he's going to get that match up for the most part. Um, you, you obviously don't want Luca. Luca's probably going to have to go move to um, at times when Finney Smith's out. He's going to have to guard you know either Booker CP Bridges. Or, or or Bridges or Booker. So he's going to have to guard. You know they'll probably put him on on Bridges early to try and keep him out of foul trouble and whatnot. But um, when they make some rotations, it'll be interesting to see. Foul trouble is going to be big for both teams at the guard spots, not so much in the big spots. And yeah, looking forward to this one, Pro. What do you got? Uh, I think it's going to be fun. I, I think I think Dallas is going to win in six. Um, I, I just love the way they're playing. They reminded me a lot of their 2011 team. I've said this for a while. It's just like whatever you throw at them, it doesn't matter. They don't have true superstar after, you know, after Luca. And, you know, same thing with Dirk, like when he had an 11 and, you know, he just had all these players that played on the same page and they would pull for each other. I, I think that now look, Booker, the the hamstring thing, he's probably been able to rest a little bit. I'm not sure it might be in a, a factor, might not be. I just really like Dallas. I just think the way they're playing and just they're just beating the shit out of everybody. And, you know, pre, you know, regular season at the end and, you know, in the playoffs, they've been really good. And yeah, I expect this to be six. If it's seven, if it goes seven, that, I, you know, Phoenix has a, a, a big advantage. If it goes six, I think Dallas will pull it in six. But if it goes seven, you know, like I said, I, I don't know the numbers on it, but winning game seven and in uh the you know on the road is a is is beyond almost almost impossible in the NBA but um i expect a really good series both ends chris paul versus luka and you know just watching the ball movement the shooting bridges dorian finney smith you know crowder i just love watching these guys both i it'll be one of the most enjoyable series and you know right now in the semifinals in, in each conference so yeah i'm looking forward to it 
Yep, let's see how it goes. Let's see if our picks can be right this time. Um, we're pretty, nah, pretty, no, pretty decent. No, nah, we're pretty decent in the first round. A lot of people, a lot of Boston fans, thanked you though. Uh, I noticed that on social yeah. media for picking Brooklyn. <laughs> so they thanked you for the for the pro curse, uh, which Editor. is good. But um, we yeah. did it right. We did it right. I think we're about six hundred or seven hundred on the picks, so not too bad. All right, moving on. With a little bit of news. Jerry West is pissed, pro. He's pissed. Now you watch the show. I need to watch it. Um, I didn't watch it. I read the book. Oh, oh, you read the book. Okay, so I need to. I need to watch the show. So is the book exactly the show, or have they tweaked it? Do you know? Yeah, the, yeah. Jeff Perlman who wrote it uh, wrote the book uh, Showtime. I forgot when it came out. Maybe like two thousand seventeen or so. Um, I read. Yeah, I read it on audiobooks. Great, and it's an unbelievable book. And but is the book is, yeah, the, the, show, is the book depicted exactly the same in the show, or have they have they fucked? With I gotta it? watch the show because mm. I haven't watched it. But like they, I mean, they, you know, Jerry Jerry was a little tough back then. You know, like he, he had a lot of he had a lot of shit to his game back then. And um, it's an interesting book, and I haven't seen this. I, I'm definitely gonna get to the uh, show this week. But uh, I haven't, I haven't watched the show fully. So yeah, I gotta I'm watch it. But, about him. Yeah, but anyway, he's 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 willing to take take it to the Supreme Court, pro. So he's uh, he's not too happy. He's quoted as saying, "The series made us look like cartoon characters, and they be, they belittled something good." Uh, HBO was fired back and said, "Winning Time is not a documentary." And has not been presented as, as such. Its depictions are based on extensive research and reliable sourcing, and HBO stands behind it. So, interesting quote because they've said it's not a. It's, they said it's not a documentary, and it's not presented as such. But then they go on to say we did extensive research and reliable sourcing. So, which is it? <laughs> is it? Have you depicted it based on true events, um, or haven't you? So, I think that comment itself is pretty not 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 too good from their argument, in my opinion, but. The logo is not happy, so um, it will be interesting to see where that goes if it does go to the Supreme Court. But they do make, uh, from what I've heard and read, I haven't watched the show. I need to watch it. Is that made made Jerry Jerry West look like a bumbling, swearing maniac that just uh, has no tolerance for anybody, really? So I've heard I've heard he's got a short temper, like especially back in those days. I heard he's got a very short temper. Good dude, but very short temper. Very emotional guy. Um, well, I've been I've been with him. I mean, he was with Golden State with us, and I I, I didn't see that. I, all I saw was a blo- he's a guy that's direct. Like, there's no you're not having an hour meeting with him to get to the point. He's getting to the yeah. point in the first thirty seconds, and I respect that. I, I'd rather do that. I can't I can't I don't like running around in circles. How's your family? And then we get to we slowly get nah, to the point. No, nah, he ain't that type. He's walking nah, in and saying, "Hey, man, you fucking suck last night. Pick it up next game. Box out. Get some rebounds for us." What the fuck are you doing? Literally, that's a conversation. And that's not a bad thing. Um, but the show, yeah, the show really poured a lot of uh, mayonnaise, mayonnaise on that. Dude, um, the, book is, the book is ridiculous. The book, it's a couple of uh, points of the book. A, that like, so they wanted Jerry West to coach the team. This was like in the 70s before they drafted Magic. So um, they wanted Jerry to do it. He didn't want to do it. And so they were going to hire Jerry Tarkanian. You remember Jerry Tarkanian, right? Yeah, UNLV, coach right? UNLV. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, coach UNLV. They were going to hire him. Um, he had his agent, who was like a lawyer from Vegas, negotiate the deal. He took the job. Well, he starts calling his agent, can't find his agent. Agents murdered by the mob in Vegas, and they stuff him in his Cadillac. It was one of the uh, almost 
unbelievable story I ever met. And then like the boosters didn't want to lose Jerry. So they kept on like, they kept on prolonging him taking the job because he was so distraught that the guy died. So the boosters talked him into staying and that's how he stayed, but they were going to hire Jerry Tarkanian. They offered him the job twice. Another story that was great. Well, not so great, but this guy, Jack McKinney, he was like an assistant coach in the NBA for Portland. Um, yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah. He, he's the head, he's the head coach. He creates Showtime. He creates, he wanted Magic Johnson. He wanted to play fast, all that stuff. I think he was with Kareem in Milwaukee. So, but he, he knew that he needed Magic. So he's coaching the team. And preseason, this poor prick, he's got Paul Westhead as his assistant coach. This poor prick, uh, his wife takes the car. So this guy has, you know, like, he, he wants to, I think she took it to church. So he's trying to get to, like, a tennis game. He played, like, tennis or whatever on off days. On uh, during the preseason, this fucking poor prick drive, drives, uh, drives his bike, gets in an accident, gets a brain injury, and can't coach the team. So fucking, they take the Westheads the coach. They got um, they they hire Pat Riley out of the um, out of the radio booth to be an assistant. Didn't want to coach, but fuck it, he just decides to coach. And they win a championship. This, you know, they win a championship, and then Magic, just like just like Riley did when Riley had Showtime and everything moving, and then he went to New York and Miami, and he slowed it down. This brawler type, this brawler type basketball. Well, that's what the Westhead did, and then Magic started hating this guy and got him fired, and they fucking hired um, Pat Riley to coach the team. But a lot of great stories, a lot of like. A lot of player drug use, sex with multiple women. It, it was a free swinging environment for sure. HIV. And Mad- <laughs> HIV, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Jerry West, it's funny, like Magic had a lot of LeBron in him because he was um he was with, he was really close to bust. And so he would get guys like guys would like DM up hard in practice and like try to fight him in practice, get in a scuffle. He said, You're fucking gone tomorrow. And those fuckers would be fired by the next day. Supposedly, he he had sexual relations with you know swinging time with bus and some girls, you know, on a regular basis. So they were very close, and um, yeah. So it's a it's an unbelievable book. I would I I read it over the All Star break one of those uh, one of those years in Dallas, and I guess the story is supposed to be reflection of uh, yeah. I have to check that. it out. I have to check it out. It's on some weird streaming service in Australia though that I've never heard of, so I need to check that out anyway. Um, my former teammate pro. And now I assume former assistant coach of the Utah Jazz, Keon Doolin. Oh, arrested. Oh no, no, I think he's in the front office, isn't he? Oh, was he? Yeah, I think he's in the front office. Okay, whatever he is, he'd be a former employee. <laughs> former employee. Um, I swear I saw him on court when Joe Ingles was there, but maybe he was just chatting. Anyway, um, arrested for fraud as part of the suit that we mentioned a few months ago regarding the health fund, NBA health fund activities, uh, where they were putting in false claims. <laughs> now, Keon's a, a very uh, happy-go-lucky guy. I, I enjoyed him as a teammate. Um, you know, always smiling, always bantering. Um, my issue is that he was he was with the PA as a mentor for many years, also. <laughs> and kiss of death. Oh man! But it's just you know, I mean, I, Antoine Walker's doing things now. I assume as well. I, I've heard as well. It's like you know, uh, some of some of the guys that they're involved in in, in these you know, mentors and guest speakers and involved with the Players Association. They're not the best guys to have around mentoring players is, is my point. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when you're committing fraud while you're on or 
I assume this was before he got his job with the Utah Jazz. It's just just not a good look. So just another another guy linked up with that. Um, I don't really have a bad thing to say about him from the dealings I had. I enjoyed him as a teammate. Um, had no issues with him. He played hard for us when he was in Milwaukee. But uh, you just hate to see hate to see this, especially when they had a title as mentor for the Players Association. Yeah, I mean, look, I always, like I always say, if it. If you're gonna go down, go down for like five million bucks. <laughs> exactly. Don't go down. Don't go down for like fifty grand, a hundred. Like grand, five grand invoices. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Don't go down for that. Go down for something like five or ten million. I, but it also tells me, pro, that that, that 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 there's trouble financially for those people. There's severe trouble. Yeah. If they if they sure. if they if they you know taking those risks for four or five grand here and there, must not have must not have done well financially. That's that's probably the glaring thing in all, all of this. Yeah, it, it is. It's. Uh, again, it's financial literacy. That's the number one thing that uh, people in general, forget about basketball players, but people in general, they need to be educated earlier in life about this stuff. But the NBA, like, look, I mean, I'm not a big players association fan. I think it's a fucking scam, but I think that like they do try to educate you while you're playing about financial literacy. And It's such a box tick though, bro. It's such a box tick. Like it's not... I totally agree with you. It's the fees that we're paying. Uh, it's it's at times such a box. They do they do it to tick a box. Like oh, we're helping you, and it's like, are you really? Like we got, you know, we had a, we had a guy. We have a guy come in that that was I don't want to name his name, but he was a, he was a drug addict while he played, and um, every time he comes in, he tells jokes about how he smoked crack, and it's like, dude, we get it. Like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I get it. You want to be confronting with it about how bad it is, but. The guys think it's cool. Like he's talking about, I'm, I was fucking hose and smoking crack and doing this, and guys are laughing about it, thinking it's cool. And it's just like, it's a box tick, and that's what that's what kills me with it. Um, I mean, how do you change it? Get, get some people in that are that are the best of the best. That's my opinion. Pay them, pay them to come instead of putting these guys on a salary, which the, which Keon Dooling was when he was there, and other guys are making a hundred odd grand a year to be on 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 the payroll of the Players Association. Just pay a guest speaker. Th- 20 grand for that. Get the best. Give me the best of the best. Give me the best of the best, you know? And, but, you know, it, it is becoming a racket where there's a big budget and they can just employ former players. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, it's an, it's an old boys network and, you know, um, you know, just they, they want to hire, you know, ex players and that's what they want to do. And look, I get it. There's some things that ex players are good at, but like I wouldn't hire them in those types of spots though. Because most players are not, you know, financially, they're not fiscally responsible. They they don't act accordingly. So it's not really good to mentor. Like I had a lot more probably influence and, and better judgment on talking to young players than most veterans do. Because like, especially, especially if you have a, a rookie that's just going to make it right. Like maybe be a mid-level guy tops in his career and, you're talking like a guy making 28 million is trying to tell him about stuff. It's like LeBron trying to relate to a guy who's a second round pick. You can't because you don't, you never lived that life before. So like, and they're just not responsible with their stuff. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them. And then you hire them in these spots and they're not doing anything except just hanging out and they're, and they're just talking it up. You can't be like that. Not all players are like that, but or they you know, can tell you the bad. You know, with, they can tell you all the bad yeah. shit, but you're like, yeah, they can tell you the bad. How did you fix but it? Like, oh no, don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want. I would no. I wouldn't want Antoine Walker or Vin Baker talking to me about fiscal responsibility. Is it really, dude? You blew nine figures, and I'm friends with both those guys. 
you know, I know both those guys pretty well. And, you know, like you said, like talk to them about the war, the war story. No doubt about it. They should tell you about the war stories. Alan Iverson, the war stories about blowing that money. But like you should have somebody that has an education in that and a history in that and experience in that talking to these players to really get them on track. But like, let's be honest, like you do care, but if they're not being fiscally responsible and they're putting up 28 and seven, does the team really care? At the end of the <laughs> no, day? Shit. Yeah, yeah, no, no they're going to ride them for that 28 and seven until, until it's up. And then everybody's going to be like, Oh, poor this guy. or poor that guy. Well, no, you knew it was a fucking problem and nobody really did anything for the kid, you know, whatever. It, it, it's, it's a poor thing. I, you never want to see it, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I was shocked to see it. Cause like I said, I didn't, it's not, it's not a character that you're assumed to do that. But here's what it is. All right, Miami, Miami linked to Donovan Mitchell. That was a small leak. And the reason I brought this up is, is this the ultimate Trojan horse from Miami? Um, Dwayne Wade's in that locker room, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this right. This could be all no, time. That's, that's, this could be all time. If this, if this happens, oh my goodness. You let the, you let the fox in with the hens, uh, Utah? No doubt. But the thing about it, though, though here's the problem that any team that's going to be dealing with Utah, Danny Ainge, is the worst guy ever to trade with. He will he will take every ounce of talent you have to get anything from him. He is relentless with negotiating. He's the best. And so like he he doesn't care. He, if he says, "Well, I'm going to New York," he is not going to he is not going to fold. If they give him full like power with this, which I assume they will, he will take, like, if, if Miami wants him, it's going to take Hero. It's going to take, like, you're going to take major pieces from that team. He's not going to take an expiring contract and a couple of picks. He is going to take you for, you might, your family members might be bankrupt of how much money he's going to take from you as far as to make a well, deal. Well, this is happen. assuming so, Donovan resigns, right? Or signs the extension. Which, which yeah, you, which I think he's got, uh, hold on, hold on. I got my database up. Hold on. Give me two seconds. Change team. Utah, so he's got Mitchell's got no nah, fuck no both. He's he's not a free agent till 26. So he's got 28. No, it's how he's got 28 this year, 30.4 next year, 32.6 in 23-24, 34.9 in 24-25, and a player option for 37. So he's in. Yeah, so he signed the last so, season. Was it last season or season before? I'm not sure when he signed season. it. One, two, three, four, five, yeah. six. Yeah, it must have been the, last season. Yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, so that's the thing. Ainge mm. will take you for everything you got. So, like, if he goes to New York, it's going to be R.J. Barrett. I don't think Robinson's his type, but maybe Robinson. A shitload of picks. Multiple picks. For, it depends on like what Ainge like 2034. Wants <laughs> yeah, it depends on what you want to do. It depends. Like, look, the, the new thing to do is all these pick swaps and picks. Like, But do you want to totally blow the thing up? Do you want to keep Mitchell and a bunch of these players around? Do you want to keep Rudy and a bunch of these players? I doubt it. If I was a betting man, both those guys are out and they're going to get a treasure chest. Now, do you want like, do you want to do a sign and trade for Brunson and then bring in all these other players, young guys around him? You're not going to build a team around Brunson, but he's going to be a really big fixture. Like, depends, but... You know, it depends what Ainge wants. You got two really big pieces, but if he's going to go to Miami, it's going to, I would assume it's going to be at least because Ainge wanted to draft Hero in Boston. 
He was high on Hero. I forgot what happened that draft. I'm not sure what happened, but he wanted Hero badly, and he loves him. So he will definitely be in the in the in the trade if that if something like that happens. But it'll be interesting. Yeah, no, I just I just noticed it. I just saw it as soon as Miami was linked. I was like, oh, D Wade. Yeah, that's fun. Nothing, nothing might not. Happen. I mean, might not happen. But we'll see. Sacramento down to its final four candidates: Pro, Mark Jackson, Mike Brown. Clifford and Chris, Doug Christie. So, oh, of course, Doug Christie. That will be interesting. I wonder if Doug Christie's wife will still follow him around at the back of the bus when he's coaching. Um, for those, that, uh, yeah, she'll she'll move closer. She'll move closer. For those that don't know, when he was a player, I think he uh, he got a little cheeky on a road trip and admitted it to his wife. And and from that day forward, she was in a car behind the team bus and every road trip. The moment he landed off the plane, um, I heard also he'd have to be on the phone to her for most of the time as well, to make sure he wasn't on the phone. Anyone else, that was interesting. But uh, Mark Jackson has a real strong chance, I'm hearing. Um, so we'll be interesting to see. I hope that happens. Go through the nil rule in college basketball, Pro. You're, you're telling me college basketball is wrecked. It's gone. It's done. The the nil rule is that stands for the name, image, likeness. So players can now get paid for their name, name image, likeness. But what it's done is it's created a bidding war and it's also created – essentially trade scenarios, quote unquote, um, in college basketball pro. Yeah. So basically, you know, this has been coming up for a while now, the last few years about NIL and, and name image and likeness. And I thought it was going to be like, you know, you, you could be in some commercials and, you know, maybe run a camp or this some signing at a mall, but th- these players are getting, you know, not all of them now, of course, but a lot of the big time schools like Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Louisville, you know, the big time is Texas and it's all sports and uh, the major revenue sports, their players, they're signing deals of 300 grand, 400 grand um, cars, Porsche deals. It's unbelievable. The money and, and some of the things that changes hands. And the problem that happens is like, there's a kid that's coming over from Kansas state that's transferring to Miami and there's a, there's a big billionaire in Miami that's given NIL deals to about 30 athletes in Miami, all types of sports. And they gave this guy a reported two-year $800,000 deal. And one of the players on Miami said, well, if they don't up my deal that I already have, I'm out. I'm in the transfer portal. Now, I think he's moved back on that since that article came out a day or two ago. But now that's essentially what's going to happen. And what's going to happen, Bogues, is no one's going to want to go, like no good player is going to want to go to um, a mid-major school anymore. They're going to go to all these like big time schools that already have all these NIL money to all these boosters and companies that really give to the program. And also, pro, kind of- Florida state law doesn't permit schools to be involved in the, nil- the NIL deals. So I assume if you go to a Florida state school, any of them, Miami or whatever, you have to get the deal from a third party. So that's a big hindrance too. Some states, some schools can be involved in those deals, right? Yeah. So state to state, it's going to be different in most states. So like they're going to have their own laws, but it's going to, it's going to cause so many headaches. And look, the, you know, it's funny, like everybody kills the NCAA. We talked about it last year in depth about, you know, how much money they make and the kids don't make any money, poor kids, poor kids. And now, now like the NCAA says, okay, fuck it. You guys make whatever you want. NIL. And now everybody's complaining about the NCAA not stepping in on it. So and like, there's a billionaire involved. There's a billionaire. Yes, the there's, a, billionaire. A, there's a billionaire named John Ruiz. 
He's been at the forefront of NIL deal movement, orchestrating deals across several sports, um, even going towards women's college basketball. He's done 111 deals signed or pending with Hurricanes, Miami Hurricanes athletes oh, wow. to promote his companies. So he's got companies called mm-hmm. Life Wallet, Cigarette Racing, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I assume there's going to be more billionaires or what they're formerly called, school boosters, um, that are going to be involved in doing this. But it's, yeah, it's, it's when you see that you know report of uh, Nigel Pack, $800,000 over two years plus a car, um, at the time of his signing with Kansas, he was a Kansas State transfer. I mean, it's it's becoming ridiculous, and it's there's no clear cut rules. That's the problem, um, and that's what people are saying. You know, the, the guidelines are kind of open ended, and there's sports agencies and reps out there that are are going, you know, right up to the line of what they spoke, what, what they can legally do, and there's no real hard marker on whether they can stop. And I think. Um, yeah, there are guys making good. there are guys making over a million votes like in those and like all of North Carolina went back to school. It's unbelievable. You know what I would do? You know, look, we don't have to talk about it at long length, but what I would probably do is a I would cap it. I would make it like an MBA contract. Like the more years you're in school, the the more money you can make from it. But like they're gonna have to do something because the problem is both. If you just say okay, you can make whatever. And this is going to happen. Like I go to Kansas State, right? Not Kansas, North Carolina. All those guys are going to make big time money. But like if I go to like, say I go to, I don't know, Virginia, and I'm making 900. And then like I'm making, I'm a guard in the team, starting guard, and I'm making 125. And I like, well, up the deal and I'm gone. That's what you're going to create. And there's no way you can probably get up to that 900 or even close to it. But if you cap it at like 500, or 400, like make, let them make a lot of money. Look, if you make 500 in college, I mean, come on, you're doing pretty fucking well. Let's be honest. Right? 100%. So you make a f- but it's gone yeah. from, it's so- gone from like, like this is the extremes of the world, right? It's gone from athletes making no money where arguably when I was there, it was like, just give me four or five grand a semester. I'm living like a king in college to now I want a million plus. It's like, fuck, like you've gone from nothing to a million. And I get it. Like some you know players, I mean? some players are worth that endorsement wise, but it's, it's gonna it's gonna cause massive issues long term. You know what I would do if I was the NCAA? So why don't you share it with all the athletes now? Why don't you share your five hundred grand with all your athletes, like you tell us to do with all our money on the team? So, yeah, I think it, yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. But you know what I'm saying. And then Title Bones, Nine, just, <laughs> you gotta share it with the women's yeah. teams. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's crazy. It's it's, it's, it's crazy. It's not good. It's taken away from college. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't a big. I wasn't positive on the um, whole paying athletes nothing. I think they should get something. I think just my thing was just cost of living. You get a degree out of it. You get a great experience. Give athletes enough so they can they can enjoy themselves and go to the movies and get a meal. But they don't need to be driving around a fucking Bentley at school. Like that's well, where, that's where I draw the line. Well, it's sort of like the WNBA uh, argument, right? I, I'm all for wanting to pay WNBA players $3 million a year. I'm all for it. The problem is you can't support it financially, right? Yeah, you you can't, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So the college, same thing. You can't because there's going to be millions of lawsuits because of all the players want to get paid. Every athlete from every team went men and women, but you can't afford to pay everybody or you'll bankrupt the whole system. So, yes, I'm all for players getting as much money as you can, but you just can't make it work. It's not going to work under the system. It can't be done. So I say you cap it and I say you give them a, you give them an incentive for staying in school longer by giving it like five hundred, seven fifty, a million 12, yeah, I like that. That's fair enough because yeah. then at least you, you know, you're keeping them in there. So, um, yeah, I like that idea, but I think I think it needs to go down much more. I'd, I would even go to like you know a hundred, 
200, 300, I don't think you need, you need whatever it is. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. But the, mm-hmm. the numbers get thrown out, are just crazy. Anyway, let's get on to the NBL real quick. Um, the award winners were all announced MVP, Jalen Adams, Sydney Kings. So got that one right and much deserved. Best two way player in the league. The fans' MVP pro. So the, um, the NBL has a thing where fans can vote for their MVP. It was rated by the Philippines pro. Kai Soto won that one. <laughs> so they are. Uh, they had a bunch of people obviously voting. Um, usually it's someone that is an MVP candidate, but not this season. So congratulations. Um, <laughs> co- coach of the year was Scott Roth, much deserved. Six man of the year. Of course. Yeah, six man of the year, Shea Ely. Rookie of the year, Bull Coel. Most improved player, Keanu Pinder. Defensive player of the year, Antonio Cleveland. Referee of the year, can't forget our refs, Vaughn Mayberry. And executive was of he the, the guy, year. Was he guy, the guy that stole the tape or no? <laughs> that was WNBL. Oh, my uh, fault, my fault. But they're all, you know, you, t- you paint them all the same brush, right? Refs are refs. Yeah. Um, and Simon <laughs> Edwards, which was a strange one, was executive of the year, New Zealand Breakers. Um, I don't know the metric of this and no offense to the New Zealand Breakers or Simon Edwards. They had a hell of a last two years being on the road. But uh, usually in the NBA, at least, the executive of the year is the best constructed team um, on, on paper. Well, New Zealand finished dead last and only won, I think, five or six games. So I don't know what the metric was. Like I said, I'm ignorant to that, but it, that was a one I scratched my head out. I thought it'd be um, someone in the top four. Chase Buford Pro was fined by the NBL $10,000. Um, this could be probably the biggest fine I've seen in the NBL. <laughs> as, as close as I've followed the NBL. <laughs> what did he do? I uh, went a little rogue towards the, the referees and officials. Um, we'll just leave it at that. But look, as an owner, I'm saying this. I think it was, it's deserved. The fine's deserved. He needs to take it on the chin. I think he'll be the first to tell you that he probably deserves that as well. Um, he's very passionate, which I cannot follow. I've, I've had my run-ins with referees, but I think he overstepped the mark. Um, I've definitely overstepped the line, but the 10,000, I think, is a big wake-up call. And like I said, I think I have to have some people look back, but this is this is one of the biggest fines I've seen in, in history for you know coach-referee run-ins. So... That, that's interesting. Illawarra versus Sydney was on uh, Friday night. I went to that game. Game one goes to the Sydney Kings um, on the back of a 30 to nine second quarter by the Sydney Kings. Huge. Um, Jalen Adams solidifies his MVP vote with 36 and five. Absolutely fantastic. Someone who doesn't get a lot of uh, credit from people out there wasn't even in the top three for defensive player of the year voting was Wani Swaka Lobuluk um, with the Sydney Kings. He... he He's our he's our Finney Smith. Um, uh, he he did a phenomenal job on Tyler Harvey. Um, just made him work for everything so much so that they moved Tyler Harvey off the ball late game. And they they put the ball in, um, in Cleveland's hands at times, and they put it in Brath um, uh, and May's hands. So he's been huge. Um, Cleveland was really big for the Warren early. He had some tough shots. Um, very very good in the open floor and transition. He had, he had a really big first half, but that that, that second quarter cost Illawarra. They, they, they made a little charge in the fourth, but they couldn't get it back. We won by 10. Game um, two, I kind of chatted to Luke Longley and even Paul Smith before the game, and this game went exactly as I thought it would. I thought that, um, not for the reasons I thought, but it went the way I thought it would. Um, I thought that Illawarra would come out and punch us, punch the Sydney Kings, and the Kings would have to grind back into the game and then, you know, steal it late essentially, stay in the game and keep it close and then take over in the fourth quarter. And it went that way, but it wasn't so much 
the Illawarra Hawks doing early. It was the Sydney Kings doing early. We we kept uh, we essentially punched ourselves in the face. Um, what I mean by that is we just we turned the ball over in the first half a lot. Uh, we had ten turnovers in the first half. A lot of them were live ball turnovers. What I mean by that, for your listeners, is we turned it over to an Illawarra Hawks player who then just dribbled up and had a layup at the other end. So there's coaches out there that will say, if you're going to turn it over, rather you just kick the ball into the top level of the arena, turn it over and get our defense set. Because when you turn over um, a live ball, you can't get your defense set. And our defense has been pretty mm-hmm. good. But they were um, they, they capitalized on that. They they outscored us by 10 in the first half. They had a 10-point lead going to the half, mainly in that third quarter. Um, and... We just we just struggled to get in the flow with with our turnovers. So something that we had to clean up. They also kicked our ass on the boards in the first half. They they got to all the 50-50 loose balls before us, and and they you know they played us in that first half, and we we kind of deserved to be down ten. And we we made an adjustment. Uh, we made an adju- a few adjustments with 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 a few little uh, little tweaks um, with what we we're doing with the ball, making things a little bit simpler in that in that second half. We weren't messing around with the ball and making lazy passes and holds me know when you don't turn the ball over you have a quarter in the third quarter that goes 25 to 13 and gets us the lead back so mm-hmm. we end up um you know winning winning that game that 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 quarter sorry uh, quite easily and and then going on to the the next quarter we capitalize 30 to 20 once again but the game was closer than the end result uh, 99 87 for the Sydney Kings it was it was much closer than that it took some really heroic Shots from Jalen Adams once again finished with thirty. What he finished with twenty nine seven and three, but some real timely shots towards the end of that game. Uh, real timely shots. Um, step back three, basically to ice the game late. Jarrell Martin once again was was really big, and he had he had uh, twenty three and nine. But what what he did defensively was was awesome for us. Two big charges at different points of the game. Won't show up on a stat sheet. That was huge. Xavier Cooks was everywhere again. Um, Sixteen and eleven. With three assists, four blocks, and a steal, he was phenomenal. Um, and Ian Clark off the bench um, has just been a godsend for us, um, both on the court and off the court in the locker room. He's been awesome for us, and mm-hmm. he finished with a quick seventeen in twenty-three minutes. So he was big, made some timely buckets for us uh, late, got to the free throw line, knocked them down, and it is two and zero for the Sydney Kings. That's all she wrote in that series, and the Sydney Kings advance to the grand final. Moving on to Melbourne United versus the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. Your Tasmania Jack Jumpers, bro. Yes. The series yes. is tied 1-1. I hope you got up early and watched that game last night. I didn't, but uh, I was with them in spirit. You got to watch game three now. So anyway, Melbourne, Melbourne. you know, they, they beat them up in game one. They won. They cruised to victory. Goes back goes back to Tasmania for game two, and they, they get the win. Um, they played a very physical um style of basketball. Tasmania still has stretches where they couldn't score. Melbourne United was something like, I think, six for 34 from three, which cost them dearly or maybe maybe even worse than that. Um, and Tasmania win that game in a, in a close one to the end. It is 1-1 going back to Tasmania. I believe that game is tomorrow, Australian time, um, at about 7 or 8 p.m. So you got to set your alarm pro and watch your, watch your Scott Roth. If they win that game, which I, I can't pick, I, I'm picking Melbourne United in Melbourne, but... Basketball gods, if you can get Tasmania to win that game, it would be absolutely epic. Like that, you know, I think Scott Scott Roth would do cartwheels and break dance. I would, I would love to be his assistant. If they have an assistant opening, Bogues, you've got to get me in with that guy, man. Yeah, like so uh, 
that, that that's great for them. And this is New Orleans Phoenix series to me. For them to get a win in that series is invaluable for their long term growth, and and that is fantastic. So it should be commended. And finally, Australian wise, I'm hearing that there will be a bronze medal celebration series in Melbourne sometime mid mid year, um, which will be I'm not sure who it's against. I don't believe it's going to be against anyone good, uh, but it will be a, a two game series. The Boomers will play. Um, sometime soon. And I'm also hearing Gorge, Brian Gorgian is back to coach the Boomers till the 2024 Olympics. Um, I'm pretty sure my mail is correct on that. Hasn't been announced yet, but I'm pretty sure it's right. So um, I think that's the right decision. He had a hell of a run with the bronze medal. Um, he'll, he'll steer that group hopefully to, to bronze or better in the in the uh, first off the world championships in the Philippines in 2023 and then 2024 in, I believe it's Paris, Paris. Um, so that'll, that'll be great. All right, pro. Useful or useless? Trey Young's line. Game one, one field goal, six turnovers. Game two, 10 field goals, 10 turnovers. Game four, three field goals and five turnovers. Game five, two field goals and six turnovers, pro. Yeah, useful. I mean, obviously, it's a big reason why they weren't as effective. I mean, you're, you're turning the ball over six times a game. It's a, you know, like not in general. I mean, obviously, anybody can have a bad series, but it's useful in that series. It cost them. He he was just too loose with the ball. They were tough with him, and he just turned the ball over. You can't turn the ball over and be and try to be successful. A, you can't be turn over the turn over the ball like that and and think you're a superstar and play like a superstar. You can't do that. It's yeah, you put your team in too much of a harm's way. I say it's useful. What yeah, do you say? Bob? Yeah, useful. I think they need to they need to find a they need to get a Brunson or a Dinwiddie or someone that's a secondary Jordan Clarkson, someone like that that can when Trey's having those nights, you can go to a secondary auction. Bogdanovich is kind of there, but not so much a creator off the dribble for others. They need to find that 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 second guy that can get you that. Um, so definitely useful. All right, the Warriors went one thousand and seventy three days between playoff series wins. Useful or useless. Ah, uh, useless. I mean, in the sense that, you know, look, they were hurt, you know, they were hurt. So uh, they were injured. There was no way they were going to really make impact in the last couple of years without the players who were missing. So, I mean, it's a hell of a stat. Don't get me wrong, but I just think because nah, of the it's not. You had not- it right first. It's useless. It's sports center facts. It was a, it's a clickbaity type thing. Look, even the Warriors go wild. Like, yeah, when you, when you factor in everything, um, it's, it's, it's as useless as can be, I believe. So you hit that one. On the head first, your guy Finney Smith has contested ninety-three shots this playoffs, second to only Joel Embiid. Um, he's holding opponents to thirty-nine point eight percent on those shots, bro. Useful, useless. You useful it should be first team all defense. And the guys, the guys, fucking the guys, phenomenal defensively. Yeah. And, yeah. Sh- and the flip side is he's shooting three ball well again. You know, like he's gotten. Oh no, d- he's d- Michael Cooper. Yeah, no, he's Michael Cooper. Like if you watch the Lakers in the eighties. Like I was the only guy in the Mavs room that raised his hand to draft a guy in the second round. We had a chance. Thankfully, he signed with us. Um, but I, I saw Michael Cooper and him so much because I thought I knew his shot will get better. And I knew defensively he was going to be really good. And there's only a couple of guys that he really can't fuck with defensively. But I'd say he could defend 95% of the players in the league at his position. And, not, you know, 90 to 95%. He's phenomenal yeah, at it. Phenomenal. He's, He's done really a great good. job. Mm-hmm. Yep, useful. All right, uh, the Mavericks have won their first NBA playoff season since 2011 finals. The Rick Carlisle effect, useful or useless? Uh, I say useless, and I'll tell you why. They just weren't good enough to win. Like, it's 
look, they didn't win a playoff series in 10 fucking years. So, I mean, that's a huge deal. 11 years. It's a huge deal. But if you watch the teams, and I was a part of every team except the last couple, they just weren't good enough to win a playoff series. Like, the, they were good enough maybe last year with, you know, against the Clippers for sure. You know, the last couple, even in the bubble, but like those right after 2011, like they, they scrapped most of the team in 12 and they were bad. And um, I got there 13. Then we played San Antonio. I think we pushed San Antonio to six games or I don't think it was seven, but I think it was six, no, seven games. And we got thrashed in the seventh game. And then we stole, we stole a game with Vince Carter making a shot at the buzzer. And then Houston, we had no fucking chance. You know, I have a better chance of like beating Shaquille O'Neal in the fucking post than we did, you know, beating Houston that year. And then Oklahoma City, no chance. And, you know, I just think that they they didn't really have a chance to win. They only had last year when they blew the series, when they were down, they were up 3-1 or 3-2, you know, and they, they could have clinched it and they lost, they ended up losing. But I say it's useless just because they weren't good enough. What do you say, both? Yeah, I would agree somewhat, but the last couple of years they were good enough. Um, sure, yeah. But I'd ask you this. Would you take a first-round exit every season for 10 years if you had a championship on one of those years? So Dallas is a prime example. You win a championship at any time in the last 11 years, but all the other years you're either not in the playoffs or you're out in the first round. Would you take that? Yeah, you win a championship. I mean, how, exactly. How, you take you know, it. You, you know take it. Like, yeah. like, look at the Utah Jazz. They've never won one. So if you told them today, hey, you win a championship this year, but it's going to be it's going to be shitty for the next 10, you take it. Um, look, re- yeah. Yeah. Regardless, folks, look, you can go as deep as you want. You go eight straight years of not like, look at, look at like Utah when they had to play Chicago, right? And they lost two straight finals. Like, yeah, like pat in the back. Buffalo Bills, they made like three straight Super Bowls. Like, like pat, pat in the back, you, you made it that far. You're a great organization. But at some point, you're going to get too old. You're going to have to restructure your team. And then seven more years of obscurity. But, but if you win a championship, that's all they give up. That's people all forget. people give a fuck about. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Yep, I agree. So looking back on that, I think it's useless. But um, yeah, they definitely should have got through a few more than they did. Last one, the Sydney Kings are the first team in NBL history to win 11 consecutive road games in the same season after their last win at Illawarra in game one of the semifinals, bro. Useful or useless? Mm, say that again, folks. First, so the Sydney Kings are the first team in NBL history to win 11 consecutive road games in the same season. Oh, that's that's definitely useful, man. That's a hell of a fucking accomplishment. Yeah, it's big time. Time. Yeah, and now if you didn't own the team, I would say it was useless as shit, but since you own <laughs> it, fired. yeah, i say it's useful. Nah, yeah. 11 road wins in an NBL season. There's only 14 road games in a regular season, then you've got finals. That's impressive in my opinion. So hopefully, you know, for some reason, we're one of those teams that plays almost better on the road. I think we're a bit more locked in and a bit more threatened, and sometimes at home we, we come out in cruise control sometimes. So hopefully that's uh, behind us. All right, what do you got? Fact or fake news? Folks, the Bulls break up their core in the offseason. So they will break up at least one of their top three players, Ball, Vucevic, or uh, DeRozan, in the offseason this season. Uh, fake news. They're not going to break up their core. I think they're going to tweak some things. They're not going to make any moves. I just don't see why you would. They finally got back to the playoffs, even though they didn't put up a lot of fight. I think they can build off this a la Minnesota, a la New Orleans, make some tweaks maybe. Maybe bring a bit more shooting in, as I said earlier. They need some shooting and maybe a brute big man. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's fake news. Kyrie Irving will uh, resign in 
with the Brooklyn Nets? Oh, or will the Nets re-sign Kyrie? That's a question, I well, guess. Well, yeah, the Nets, yes. The Nets yeah. will sign Kyrie. I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's questions. They're, they're trying to link games played to his deal. You know, that's enough to set Kyrie off to not re-sign. Um, if you're the Nets, I think you, you kind of have – what else are you going to do? I mean, so I would say I'd say fact, they need to keep him as they have to deal with the baggage. Um, he's, a, he's a unique talent. You just got to get it back on the track. So they, they need to have a little come-to-Jesus meeting with him and – and go from there. But um, yeah, I think fact that they have to re-sign him. Yeah, I say fact. I mean, look, you're, you're all in on this thing. You're all in on the fact that you get Simmons. It's bad enough. You get Simmons and not knowing if he's going to play or not. You know, you gotta, you gotta have to get something. Oh, look at this team in the playoffs. I mean, imagine them without Kyrie in the playoffs, you know, in a lethargic Ben Simmons instead. It's just not, I think you just got to deal with it. And I think, like I said, he's a superstar, but you got to deal with a lot of fucking headaches with that superstar status. So I say it's fact. They will they will resign him. Uh, last but not least, uh, definitely not least, definitely not least, Utah will trade both Rudy and Mitchell this offseason. Uh, fake news, not both. Um, I think they'll trade one or the other though. Uh, I don't think. Sorry, I think I think Rudy's going to be the old man out. So um, to your statement, I will say fake news. They're not both gone, but I think. I'd love to get in the mind of Utah, but I would believe they're in this ballpark. They think, they'll think they think Mitchell's more valuable than Rudy, as most people do, I guess, um, as far as the talent, generational talent, superstar, all that kind of shit. And I think that relationship between them is definitely strained. It's obvious. Um, I don't care what, what they say and what, what people say. It's obvious. You know, Rudy's throwing jabs by complimenting Devin Booker about playing defense and then Mitchell's throwing jabs back about, you know, we don't have enough guys that can move their feet on the perimeter, blah, 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 blah. So I think Rudy's the odd man out. I think Rudy's gone, but fake news. It won't be both of them. I say fact. I say they're, they're down on both. I both. think they'll get a trip. Yeah, I think that Ainge is going to get – like, here, here's the thing. I think Rudy will probably be gone for one reason or another. And I think that, you know, I think that, like, Donovan's just going to want to go to the Knicks or somewhere. You know how this stuff's going to play out, Bulls. Like, it Donovan does. said he wants to stay in Utah, Pro at his press yeah. conference. Are you calling him a liar? Well, I, I don't want to eat 4,000 calories tonight, but I'm fucking lying through my fucking teeth. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. So, yes, I think he's lying through his teeth. I think he does want, on one end want to, but I think in the offseason when it's long, and I'm not saying that he'll, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be tomorrow, but I think that, like, you know how this shit goes. It starts, a pebble goes down the mountain and it ends up an avalanche in, in, in no time. And I just think people are going to get in his head. I think there's going to be tampering for sure. And I think then Angel's going to be like, all right, you want out, then fine, but you're not going where you want to go unless they give me what I want. And he will not let up. He's relentless. So I think he will get dealt. I don't know where. I don't think it's definitely going to be New York because to be honest with you, I think that, you know, I think that Ainge would want more. And I don't know if New York has enough. And I think that you're going to have to pony up to get the guy. And um, I think they'll get both going to be gone. Donovan you know? Donovan, so, and fill in for Damon fill in. Would you do it? Who says no? Uh, I don't think Ainge would do it. Too I, old? I think that, too uh, old? Too old. Yeah. I think mm. that he's going to go young. And I think that he wants like, he wants a certain types of players. And I don't think, I, I don't think he wants Donovan just because of the age. I think Damn, that, yeah. you know, look, yeah, Dame. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, he's not going to want Dame because of the age. I think that he's going to go young. I think he's going to get picks. I think he's going to look. He's going to do what he did in Boston. He's going to do, you know, that's that's sort of the model he'll probably follow, and he'll he'll try to just get as much as he can. He's got two really valuable players that teams will give you 
you know, top dollar for. I think the Knicks will give you almost anything for him. So like on, on their roster. So like, that's huge. It's not like you get these players that are fringe players that, that could get you a pick or an expiring deal. These guys can bring you back all-star type players or a trough of picks and a trough of young players. So that's it, I think. Fair enough. All right, Pro, you started this thing. Close it out. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure, our honor. Thank you so much from the Rogue Bogues podcast. I will be the last time saying this bullshit, so have a great night. We will see you. Bogues, what do you got to say, bud? What's your last parting statement? That's it. Fantastic. Pro said it all. See you next week. Later. <laughs>